0: And there's such a great, like, wholesome-ish sense of humor to this game that I just really love. And the emotes that you can do on command really play into that. So, what did you think about those?
1: Well, first of all, pro tip, those thug women love you to fart on them. Yeah.
2: (laughs)
0: You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, greyghost One, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. This month, we're taking a look at Lionhead Studios' 2008 Western-style RPG sequel, Fable 2. The Fable franchise is inextricably tied to its mastermind, Peter Molyneux, and his tall tales regarding pre-release promises. Taking the game on its own merits over a decade after its release, is it worth playing? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at RFGPlaycast, and Rich is at TheSingleBanana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast.
1: Writing an essay?
0: No, I'm just looking up some of the titles of the games uh, that I played just to make sure I get them right. Hmm. What are we going to talk about? Nothing much going on in the world right now.
1: Well, I'd say there's a lot going on in the world and not a lot going on in the world right now, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah coronavirus was just starting the last time we recorded but it was in that like calm before the storm where nobody really knew what was going on kind of thing so we barely even mentioned it in passing and it's gotten crazier every single day and we're all in this Twilight Zone dystopian world right now so how are you making out how are you and your family doing?
1: Uh, pretty well. I think we're all going a little stir crazy. It's kind of hard. We're uh, on lockdown right now in our state. Uh, that just started last Friday. So this is the eighth day of the lockdown. And uh, yeah, uh, other than going to work, we've pretty much been at the house the whole time. My wife is working from home the entire time and I only have to go in one day a week. Just kind of a switch shift because we are considered one of the essential groups. So I have to go in at least one day a week, and so do my coworkers. So not too bad. And uh, actually, that one day a week is pretty nice to get out of the house, and uh, our buildings are completely empty. So I feel safe in that, you know?
0: Yeah, I totally understand that. I have been working at my job full time. No work at home for me. I am essential, I'm proud to be essential. Uh, My coworkers and I are very happy to be able to continue to go to work. We work in a big empty warehouse and we can social distance and wear PPE and everything. And I just wanted to kind of throw it out there. You know, I don't want to go on the record and say something officially, right? But I do work for one of the world's major food corporations. And I just want people to understand that we're doing everything we can. And and I know my company, we, we are working at above 90% of our normal capacity. So the supply lines are still running. Food is still being produced. Food is still being shipped. So just to try to assuage a little bit of the panic that's out there. And believe me, I'm the most skeptical person when it comes to economies shutting down and I got to check myself because I tend to be pessimistic and doomy and gloomy, but mm-hmm. we're still shipping out stuff. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. We're happy and proud to be serving our customers.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're seeing those shelves empty, don't think of it as a problem of the industry. It's more of a problem of people who are hoarding and doing things like that and just losing control. I've been to the grocery store a few times. We usually do like orders to go, but a lot of times the stuff that we're asking for, they don't have it, that particular brand, and they're used to subbing things out for us, and they'll usually call us, but they don't have time to do that now, you know, which I completely understand. It used to be that we'd put an order in, we could go pick it up four hours later. So now we're putting it in, and it's taking four to five days for each order. So, mm-hmm. um, I think if anything, what this virus is going to teach us is that everyone who works is essential. I know a lot of people look at doctors and teachers and police officers and people like that as being essential. But I think what we're learning is people who are in the food industry, people that work at grocery stores, people that work at fast food, those people are just as important as anyone else. And uh, I think a lot of people take that for granted.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, I grew up bagging groceries. So, So did I? I have that internal perspective on it. So, Mm -hmm. I've always had respect for retail workers. Absolutely. um, Having come up in that sector. But I do think that people are realizing, again, like warehouse workers, truck drivers, assembly line workers, all very important to get those products. And those widgets and trinkets that you get and and food, you know, staples and toilet paper into your hands. Now, in Austin, the options are a little bit more robust. Now, I know you live near some major cities, but not like in one. So we actually have Prime now from Amazon. They will deliver anything Amazon delivers to a certain extent, but they'll also deliver from Whole Foods. Again, it's just really weird, like dystopian future kind of feeling because I'll go on the app, add a bunch of stuff to the cart, and then you can't get a booking. It sometimes takes hours. Sometimes it takes it overnight to get like a delivery window. So yeah. I'm on the app refreshing it. And as I'm refreshing it, like things are coming out of the cart because they're selling out or becoming unavailable. It really feels like something out of a a movie where it's like, oh, I can't get bananas. like. OK, refresh, try organic bananas like and then they disappear from the cart and it's like just refreshing the app, trying to get a delivery window. I, I will say that so far it's been tricky, but I've been successful getting food to my house without having to leave the house, which is that's good, which is good. And again, God bless the people who are putting together these orders and bringing them to my house. You know, they, yeah. they really deserve some respect, you know.
1: Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Yeah. As far as orders are concerned, I mean, we put in three or four a week just because the divide is so far. And like you said, everything starts disappearing. So, you know, you can put toilet paper on your list each time and you still are not going to get it. You know what I mean? So uh, there have been some things like milk and just of the more sort of essential items that we need, especially in a house full of five it's hard we just have to keep putting those orders in and stuff but even though the stock can be low and everything we don't complain about it at all we completely understand and you know we're content we're happy and if anything i'm typically more of a pessimistic person as you know but uh i've uh, really seen a quite an optimistic side of myself come out during this and i really think everything's going to be okay i think my wife's a little worried about what's going on but uh you know i'm Kind of taking it in stride and uh, trying to be positive, but uh, it's tough not hanging out with friends and seeing friends. Um, uh, my kids haven't been able to see their grandparents. My in-laws wanted to come over last weekend, and I had to turn them away. I, I felt like a jerk, but at the same time, it's not only for my kids' benefit, but for theirs as well, yeah. you know, being older. My father-in-law has heart conditions, so, you know, I understand that they want to see my kids, but I can't tell my three-year-old not to be affectionate with them, you know, or or get near them. That's impossible.
0: So if you're on social media, you hear a lot about people doing more exercise, expanding their mind, learning skills, learning a language, like putting their time to good use. Have you broadened your horizons at all with all this quote-unquote free time?
1: Uh, if you consider broadening your horizons as making a sword of omens from Thundercats, then yeah, yeah. maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I saw that. That was really cool. How's that coming along?
1: Oh, it's awesome, man. I started to put the paper mache part to it. At first it was going to be just this like little rinky dink cardboard sword for my son. And then. Uh, I started on it. I had been thinking about it all day and started one evening and um, got into it. And then I was like, mm, you know what, I could thicken this thing up with some paper mache. And so I've been doing paper mache on it now. And uh, it's really cool looking. He may not get it after I'm done. He wants some panthero numchucks anyway. So. Oh,
0: okay. Well, I was going to say, what are you going to do when you spend all this time working on the sword and then he just whacks one of his siblings upside the head with it and breaks it?
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. This thing's going to be pretty tough when all this papier-mâché hardens. Uh, <laughs> we Might be ended up taking a kid to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to go there. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Not right now. <sighs>
0: Well, I like that you're keeping it positive, and uh, I don't want to dwell too much on this because I feel like this is going to be our life for kind of a long time. And again, not to be too pessimistic, but I'm just kind of mentally preparing for this to be like a month's long thing at minimum. I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the episodes to come, so let's not dwell. We will approach the topic again for our question of the month, so we'll come back to it, but um I like to hear that you're saying positive, and I I like to try to do the same thing, and I hope our listeners can find some levity in things like our show, and just make sure you contact your friends and your loved ones. You know, people are improvising a lot with Zoom meetings and Skype, and, you know, old-fashioned telephone call works just fine. You know, we got to turn the situation into something good as best we can. Absolutely. Speaking of our friends, we do have some mistakes that our <laughs> friends pointed out. Now oh, do we you know, I really don't like this nomenclature of our <laughs> friends, because I'm gonna talk about Mr. Stubbs today and he's a really stand-up dude and I don't consider him <laughs> an <laughs> at all. Um,
1: uh, yeah, I think the word I think that's in quotes. I okay. think I think we can safely say that. I think it's uh I think it's a, it's a title of love. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Well, we love Mr. Stubbs. And it's funny because he posted this like a day after I realized that I had kind of misspoke on something. And I was like, dang, he caught it because I would have come on and said it. But um, he did go on the record with my mistake. So I was talking about my favorite South Park episodes. Mm. And I talked about the one where Cartman wants a Wii. I just kind of misremembered the episode because I hadn't seen it in so many years. And I thought, I remembered it that Cartman, because of the demand for the Wii and how hard it was to get one, you know, traveled into the future to get one. And I think that was me projecting my experience with trying to get a Wii (laughs) way way back when it was launched. But what actually happens in the episode, and it's a two-part episode, and you may remember it's the one with um, Richard Dawkins in it as a parody guest, quote-unquote, cartman is waiting for the wii to come out so he's just pacing outside the game store and it's like two weeks before the wii is released and they keep trying to hey go away kid like and he's just he can't stand the wait; he can't sleep at night so he devises his plan to freeze himself <laughs> so that t- the time will pass and he can thaw out two weeks later when the wii is released So he actually ends up freezing himself on a mountain and goes like way into the future. And it ties in with the plot with Richard Dawkins, because in the future, there's no religion. So it's all it's just a science fiction world where religion doesn't exist. But there's these three factions of atheists fighting with each other. They're at war with each other over what to call their atheist. I don't know if you'd call it a government or whatever. So, anyway, (laughs) it's a really funny two-part episode, and I'm really glad to have rewatched it and how my memories of it were versus how it actually is. And it still holds up. The parts with Richard Dawkins are hilarious. And, again, yeah, thanks to Mr. Stubbs for pointing that out. It just so happened to dovetail with me actually watching the episode, like, around the same time he was making that post, so... Interesting correction to make. I was just kind of misremembering something. So, mm-hmm. to clarify, Mr. Stubbs, not in. <laughs> a hell. Nope, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any other ones? I, I that was the only one that I caught because it was like so centered on me and my feelings of something. So, No.
1: Uh I don't recall any mistakes that we had in the last episode. Other than that one that was pointed out, I would say that we need to wipe, but we don't have any toilet paper to do so.
0: That is true. Well, speaking of toilet paper, I do have some concert tickets that I can use if it comes <laughs> down to that.
1: Oh, my God. Man. I've got a note on here that says, f***ing sadness abounds, dot, dot, dot.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah, well, I usually talk about concert tickets that I'm purchasing, you know, scores, so to speak. And now I can talk about ones that have been refunded, that I've sent back, that have been canceled. Everything's been postponed. Some shows have been canceled. Alkaline Trio and Bad Religion was canceled, unfortunately. And then the show with Best Coast, which I bought a ticket for because (laughs) Mannequin was opening, That show got postponed and then Mannequin (laughs) dropped off the tour. So I just got a refund. Like I like Best Coast, but in the most tepid way where I just don't feel like I need to go see them live. So I just got my money back from that one beach fossils and wild nothing is to until december wow yeah so that's a, that's a ways off i'm gonna hold on to that ticket because i feel like by then maybe i'll just want to go and hang out at the mohawk <laughs> you know i'll <laughs> i'll have a greater appreciation for just being able to get out even if i'm not like super high on the bands so yeah. that'll be fine yeah it sucks <laughs> it really sucks but i am glad i i did mention last month how there were all these other shows like on my radar and I was like oh I was about to go binge on tickets but I just haven't had a chance to yet and boy am I glad that I didn't because then I just have another stack of postponements or cancellations and just wondering if I should try to get my money back or whatever so yeah we shall see December maybe the next time I see live music that would just be crazy (laughs) we might have to like morph the concert cast into some kind of recommendations or something. I don't want to stop talking about music, so maybe we could do like an album recommendation each month for each of us or something. I don't know. That'd be cool. Yeah. We definitely do that. Did you have anything on hand that ended up getting canceled or postponed? I can't remember.
1: Yeah, one big thing. They canceled my wife's conference in Austin, so uh, yeah. now you oh, and yeah. I will not be hanging out in Austin. I know that kind of went back and forth for a while, At one point, I was coming. At another point, "Uh, I don't think she's going to that conference this year. And then at the next point, it was, oh, yeah, we're definitely coming now. She's already signed up for the conference. And then now, of course, they've canceled that. It was for late May, so, yeah, of course. The good thing is we didn't have any plane tickets and, of course, no hotels or anything like that because that was paid for through the conference. But, uh, yeah, it sucks. The only good thing that may come out of this is that Taiko... May have postponed his show. I haven't looked into it yet, but hopefully we'll maybe get to go see him if he comes around later in the year. And uh, the other big show that I missed was that Bit Brigade show that I was really, really pumped about going to. It was on April Fool's Day as well, so I was kind of hoping that maybe... I would go in expecting Ninja Gaiden and Double Dragon, and they might play Barbie on the NES <laughs> or something like that on April Fool's Day, which would have been awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I
1: wouldn't have complained about that. But, uh, yeah, I guess now we're just kind of talking about shows that we're no longer going to. It's kind of sad. Well, Sean, this is starting off as a just <laughs> wonderful call. It's just <laughs> it's so bright and shiny.
0: Yeah, it's a bummer. But I mean, we'll get through it. And I haven't gotten into this yet. But I know a lot of artists are doing like free live streams, just performing live, which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool. And I've seen people do that before, like pre coronavirus. But it's cool that um, a lot of artists are stepping up and doing that. I guess I should also throw out there like If you really like a band or artist, it's important to try to support them during this time if you can, because touring is how a lot of bands make their money. Mm -hmm. So if you can, like go on Bandcamp, buy an album and pay for it, or buy some merch, buy a t shirt. It's kind of cool. And I actually want to find one of these. A lot of bands are selling like tours that never happened. Like they're selling their tour merch. (laughs) So uh, actually one of my coworkers was supposed to go to a show uh, a couple weeks ago that got canceled and he was able to get the shirt from the tour. And it's a really badass looking shirt. And I think it's kind of one of those weird things like, I don't know, like owning a shirt from the sports team that actually lost, you know, how they send those (laughs) to like third world countries kind of thing.
1: The old African championship shirts.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they're called. It's, It's something like that. It's a shirt that has a story to it, you know, and uh, I got to get my hands on on one of those from one of these bands, because I think that would be pretty cool. But yeah, if you have the means and are able, it's kind of a good way to show your support for your favorite artists, because like everybody they're they're hurting as well. And especially in a kind of tenuous economy like touring, which I've heard like touring is. Seasonal in a way, because you go on the tour and you only make money while you're on the tour. And then from show to show, every scenario is different. You can play a show where you don't make any money, you know? So, yeah. I'm not trying to say, oh, it's such a rough life being a rock star, but a lot of these bands are on an an amateur level, you know? A lot of the bands I see play through clubs, you know, on very small tours in a van. So, yeah. I don't know. I think it's just something I wanted to call out as worthwhile. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, some of the even more independent bands who you think probably make a good bit of money really don't make that much money. It's just they enjoy what they do, you know, and uh, kind of just scrape by on that. So uh, especially those people, I say definitely try to support if you can. Well, let's talk about a little bit more positive news, Sean. I heard that Limited Run Games is releasing Indigo Prophecy Remastered. And I know this is at least for the PlayStation 4. I'm not sure what other formats they're releasing it on. Is this something that you would be interested in?
0: Yeah, I would probably go for a replay of that game. Now, do you know Remastered? Are they remaking it from like the gameplay perspective, or are they just up the graphics? Because that game... Could really use a tune-up in the gameplay yeah. department.
1: Yeah, it's a little, um, it's a little rough <laughs> in, in yeah. places for sure, and it's a little janky. I'm not sure, honestly. Uh, not something that I'm really interested in, um. You know how I am. I really like kind of the jankiness and playing things on the original hardware, so it's not something that I'm super into getting. I enjoyed the game when we played it, but it didn't just wow me over. You know, like something like Shadow of the Colossus, I'll buy that on any format I can get it on, you know, because it's my favorite game. But uh, when it comes to remastering and remakes, I don't really jump on those so much.
0: Well... When you put this Indigo Prophecy on the notes, it reminded me to talk about one that I'm a little bit excited about, and that's the Nier Replicant remake or remaster. I'm not okay. sure there's, you know, they announced it and put up a couple teaser trailers so far. So I've talked about it in the past. The original Nier game came out as Near in the mm-hmm. West, and it came out as Near Replicant in Japan and Nier Gestalt in Europe, I think. Okay. It's two like versions of the same game where in the near that we got here in the West, you play as an older gentleman, like Mm -hmm. uh, think of like a Logan Wolverine kind of character. Okay. And then in near replicant, the Japanese version you play as a younger, like anime ish type character. So from what I understand, they're remaking replicant, which is kind of cool because technically we never got that. I was only able to play it because I got a um, English patched version on my modded PS3, which was really cool. But to have it officially announced and coming from Square Enix is pretty cool, and I'm excited. I don't know if I'm just gonna, because I've now beaten that game three times, so wow. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Now it is a kind of game where you're meant to play it and you know play through it multiple times. Just like near Automata for the people who have played that. It's cool, though. I want to see trailers and I want to know because from what I understand, this is actually like from the ground up remake. I could be wrong about that, but that's the information that I've been able to glean so far from it. So that kind of piques my interest. I'm interested to see how it comes together the english voice acting on that game is kind of legendary so i wonder if they're going to keep the original voice acting or re-record it that'll play into my interest of it it's just a great series great game and with automata coming out and being like this really popular game with you know <laughs> 2B being a, one of the greatest waifus of all time and an internet idol basically i'm happy that Hopefully the original games get a little bit of love as well now.
1: Well, I mean, everything I hear about Nier has always been high praise from anyone I've ever spoken to or any reviews I've ever read, while Nier Automata seems to be fairly polarizing. So yeah, I'm kind of curious what type of reception the new one will get. So uh, yeah, that's really cool, man. I would love to play that as a playthrough sometime, but I know you've done it like three times, so... I don't know if that's something we'll touch or not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I get the urge to play it like every couple of years. So maybe, <laughs> maybe by the time this comes out, I'll be willing to revisit it yet again because it is just such a good, good game.
1: Yeah. I'm sure we'll still be here recording this. I think this is what, episode 72. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And so in local news, AKA my household. We have been watching the new Thundercats series, and uh, pretty much the reason why I decided to craft the Sword of Omens, I actually have all the old Thundercats episodes on DVD. I've been trying to get my kids into those, but of course, that didn't go as planned. They're watching the new Thundercats, which is a series on Cartoon Network. Have you seen this, Sean?
0: No, I think I saw some of the artwork you know, on social media around the time it came out, but I've never watched the show.
1: Yeah, uh, the artwork is very Steven Universe-like. I don't know if it's the same people that do the artwork or not. I would say that the show is very, very appealing to kids. My three-year-old and eight-year-old absolutely love it. But... I think for an older generation and people who grew up watching the Thundercats cartoon, it's a bit silly and frantic. And I feel like a hypocrite saying this, but I always hated SpongeBob SquarePants because I thought it was just too manic. You know what I mean? Just just nutty and wacky. <laughs> but at the same time, the show that brought all of that about was Ren and Stimpy, which I loved growing up. I thought it was the best show ever. I don't know what it was about Spongebob. Maybe it was just at a place too late in my life. Maybe it was just too frantic and kiddy, whereas Ren and Stimpy was more adult-themed. And I think that's kind of the difference. And I compare Thundercats and the silliness of it to something like Spongebob Squarepants. And I think that's why it really, really appeals to a younger crowd.
0: Sounds cool, man. I don't know if I'm going to go and check it out, but I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it.
1: Well, they're enjoying it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well when you watch it like is it abrasive like you hate it or you're just like oh this this is a little too colorful for me but it's okay to watch kind of thing you know
1: the character that plays lion O, I i think the main story in the original thundercats was that he was very young and sometimes naive and trying to be the leader the lion in this series is just a complete idiot you know <laughs> and all the characters are goofy like is like the voice of reason in it, and uh, even is really goofy. It's an entirely new dynamic. The theme song is all weird and chopped up, though it has little pieces of the soundtrack in it. And then some of the sound effects from the original show, they will kind of weave in. You know, like how in the show you would go check in on the bad guys. It would be that dun-dun-dun. They still kind of weave that stuff in. But, uh, yeah, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> But some of you out there may love it if you like the more kind of frantic shows and if you're like into Spongebob and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's a little goofy for me. All right, so speaking of TV, I've got something in our notes. Sean, I think I'm getting a new TV, man. I think I'm going to put one in the office in the house. I've been looking at them. TV prices are really, really low right now. You can get one for a good price. I came into this playthrough And I actually didn't start until the last week of March. And the reason is, is it seems like every time I'm downstairs, either my 8-year-old is playing Fortnite, my 3-year-old is watching a cartoon like Thundercats, or my wife is wanting to watch TV. Which, you know, it's the family room. It should be like that. So, I talked to my wife and I was like, you know, I can move all these consoles up to my office... And that can be sort of my escape for, you know, my modern games. And so I'm kind of setting up this gaming area like you have, because you have multiple gaming areas, right?
0: Yeah, totally. I have one here in the office, and I think uh, I like where you're going with this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I thought my wife would be really resistant to this idea of spending money on a new TV, but she was like, oh, yeah, you should definitely do that. That's a great idea, because... This office has like a couch in it and a fold-out bed. So sometimes when we have an overflow, the guests will stay in that room too. So it would be nice for them to have a TV as well. As my kids get older, that'll kind of be like a gathering place for them and their friends. So I think it works out well for all of us. And I've got a nice wall up there I can put it on and have been thinking about it for several months now. So during all this time at home, I'm sure I'll be mounting a TV on the wall. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it
0: are you going like name brand big bucks or are you doing what I did and just getting the cheapest big TV you can find?
1: I will probably get like a Samsung 4k smart TV, but even so, I mean, you're still looking at less than 200 bucks and the way prices are right now, Uh, depending on, you know, if you get LCD or LED, you know, you can still keep it cheap even with a a name brand. So uh, I'll get something that I like because I've always had really, really good luck with LG and with Samsung. So I'll pick one of those two brands, but I'm not getting fancy. As long as it has smart capabilities on it, then it's good enough for me, you know? Cool. Sean, should we go into pickups? Do you want to go first?
0: Yeah, sure. I actually don't have too much. I received the game that I pre-ordered, gosh, I think it was back in November, (laughs) if not earlier. Uh, Limited Run Games did a pressing of the Tetris effect for PS4, which... I don't really understand because that's a game that's readily available at retail that you can buy a physical copy from. And there's some kind of story behind why they did a printing of this. I don't know. And I don't really care. I just saw it one day and I was like, oh, I'll get that from them because the price is fine. And I like to support this company. And it kind of turned out nicely because now, I'm not a spokesperson for Limited Run, and we're not, <laughs> we have no connection or relationship okay. with them. But right. I actually saw Josh Fairhurst make some tweets that they are going to continue to pay their employees for as long as they can, even though they can't come to work. So, you know, however that ends up playing out, at least they have that intention. And I think that's pretty cool. So, however you want to feel about Limited Run, I think in that sense, they're attempting to do the right thing. So mm-hmm. it kind of timed out nicely where I was like, oh yeah, I pre-ordered that game six months ago and now it's here. And yeah, I'm kind of happy to support them because they're trying to do right by their employees. So that's actually the only thing I've picked up. It's funny because I've been trying to kind of downsize my collection for a while now. And you've been in my game room. So you saw those three wall units Mm -hmm. that had games in them. But the two in the corners as you walk in the room are the ones that I want to... Shrink the collection so that everything fits on those two and eliminate the third one that was over in the other corner. So I've been working on that, but not working hard enough. But the COVID 19 situation kind of put a panic selling <laughs> atmosphere on me. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. You know, everybody can use a little cash just in case, a little extra PayPal, whatever you want to do with it. So I've been selling like crazy. I've got so much stuff on eBay and. Again, working at a warehouse where we do a lot of small partial shipments makes it very convenient. Like I don't have to go to the post office or to FedEx or UPS because we have all of them picking up every day from us. So the eBaying is very convenient for me in that sense. And I'm very like fortunate in that sense. But yeah, man, I've just been getting rid of stuff like crazy. I also had the benefit of rearranging because as you condense down, you can kind of rearrange and reimagine how everything is set up. And I've actually got it where almost all the Sony games, like PlayStation 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, Vita, and PSP are all on one wall unit, which is pretty awesome. And another added benefit is I've shrunk the collections, like the individual collections, to their like termination point. So we talked last month about how I have... I will never have another Dreamcast game unless I get rid of one because that's how it fits on that shelf. And the shelf is like a square. (laughs) So now I have my PS2 games, my PS3 games are that way. If I ever want to get another physical PS2 game or PS3 game, I'm going to have to get rid of one. Same with a whole bunch of other things. You know, Dreamcast was like that. Saturn was like that. Wii U. You know, I got a little bit of room for PS4 games for obvious reasons. It's still like you know, the current console, the most recent console that I have. But a lot of my other ones are just getting kind of locked in, so to speak, which is really nice, because it just puts me in this frame of mind where it's like, I'm done collecting for PS2. You know what I mean? I have everything I want on PS2. I got rid of some of the ones I know I'll never play. And now it's time to dive into the collection to appreciate it more. And to just kind of appreciate what i have and not be so it's not greedy but just not be so like hordy with games like oh i need this oh this is only 10 bucks on amazon just get it like i'm just (laughs) trying to get out of that mindset been trying to get out of that mindset for a long time and this whole thing just like kicked me in the ass and it was like okay i'm highly motivated to liquidate (laughs) some of this now you know what i mean yeah So I'm not saying there won't be any scores ever again from me. I'm not going down that route again. However, I am going to be like super, super selective with all this stuff I'm selling. I I have hundreds of dollars in my PayPal now, which is rare for me, but you know, It's not for blowing on video games like I'm going to bank it or, you know, spend it on food or whatever.
1: Or Vitas or new new Nintendo handhelds.
0: It's so funny (laughs) when I think of the like from last month to this month, like the height of frivolity that I was buying a Vita and a 3DS just because I could. You know, and now I'm just like, oh, my God, like, I need to get rid of all this oh, shit, oh. like right away. <laughs> now, I'm not to the point where I'm selling off consoles, but I am looking at like, okay, do I really need four Xbox 360s and three PS3s and... But then it's a huge pain in the ass, like, testing consoles, testing all the controllers. Like, that's very time-consuming, and I want to do it right. So yeah. I'm not to that point yet. I'm just selling games, like, games off the shelf, and especially sealed ones. This is a, again another really bad habit, just buying, like, oh, this game's going to be rare. I'm going to get it and keep it sealed, you know? And it's like, well, I'll never play this. Why don't I sell it to somebody for a lot of money who will appreciate it more, you know? So. Yeah.
1: Or keep it sealed so that it will go up in value for them.
0: <laughs> well, they can keep it sealed. Yeah, maybe it'll go up, maybe it'll go down. But, you know, if I can grab 100 bucks for something I paid 30 for, then I'm in. Like, that's fine for me now. I'm not selling Godzilla for PS4, though. I'm holding on to that. <laughs>
1: Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of eBay, I've gotten screwed over twice this week by eBay. I had some stuff up on eBay I thought would never sell. It's been up for months. And two of those things were Turbo Graphics Sports Games. And of course, all of a sudden, yesterday and today, I get two messages. You've got offers on this game. You've got offers on this game. And I'm like, what in the hell? Why now? And so yeah. the problem is, I do all my shipping from work. Now, I don't use work to ship things, but they do have a scale there and I can weigh things. But I get these offers. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Because my games and stuff that I'm doing that with are in a drawer at my office. And I'm not going to my office, but one day a week. And now I'm helping cover the other office and not the one that I typically work in. So I can't get over there. And so I didn't accept the offer. I counter-offered, but at the same price. And then I put down in the comments, Hey, just want to let you know that I'm happy to take your offer on this game, but I'm not going to be able to get it out for a while because of what's going on right now and yada yada. And to my surprise, with both of the people that I have sold to, they've been like, take your time, hope you're staying safe, totally understand. And so that's pretty cool. I imagine if it was more expensive games, people might be a little bit more weary of it. But in that instance, it's been a good experience. But it just kind of sucks that, you know, I'm going through this right now and stuff I could not sell is actually starting to turn. You know, it's just kind of funny in that regard. But got to keep that eBay rating up, you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: But as far as pickups for me, most of these are pre COVID 19 pickups, probably all of them except for a few that I got in the mail this week. The first one I want to talk about is a game that our good friend Pam has talked about quite a lot, and it is her favorite game of all time. I have never played this game, but I saw it for like two bucks at a local store. I don't pick up PC games. But I do have a very small collection of PC stuff that I grew up playing, you know, like StarCraft, the Warcraft games, Diablo, and things like that. And I found a copy of Torment for PC. And uh, I don't know, Sean, have you played this game? My understanding is it's a type of RPG for the PC.
0: Yeah, I have not. Are we talking about Planescape Torment?
1: Yes, Planescape Torment. That's correct.
0: Um, I think that was one of the quicksave clubs, like early games when they started up that podcast. I could be wrong about that. But I remember I installed it on my laptop thinking, oh, I might play along with them. And I just never got to it. So to answer your question, no, I haven't played it. But <laughs> it has piqued my interest in the past
1: maybe we'll have to do another PC game at some point. I Ah, know someone who would probably be a great guest on that show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that could work. I I would be willing to give it a shot because I feel like I flirted with PC gaming. Like I got into it a little bit and then I just haven't proceeded to continue with playing PC games. I don't know how to say it. It's not because I don't want to. I just think sometimes it's easier to just plop on the couch and fire up the PS4, you know.
1: You're not trying to be all master race about it's what you're saying.
0: No, not at all. And there is something to be said, like, again, that comfort level of I'm on a computer a lot at my job and I don't particularly like it. And then to come home and, you know, sit at a desk with a mouse and keyboard, it's just not appealing to me sometimes. But that's why I like I do like gaming on the laptop because I can move around and sit at my kitchen table, sit outside. It's a little bit better. So if we played Planescape Torment, I confirm, you know, it already runs on my laptop. So that's pretty cool.
1: Awesome, man. Yeah, we'll have to check into that for sure. Another game that I picked up locally, I happened to run upon a cheap copy of Burning Rangers for the Saturn. Don't get too excited. I know this is typically a very expensive game, but this is the Japanese version. I got really excited about that because I know you can usually play a lot of the Japanese games that don't have a lot of language in them on the Saturn because I've got the action replay card so I can play any Japanese game. But unfortunately, speaking of Pam, her boyfriend, Will, a good friend of mine, he said, yeah, I tried to do that one time. And there's actually these call outs and actions and things. So it's really hard to play it in Japanese. So if I'm going to play this, I may have to learn a little bit of Japanese or maybe even just sort of memorize the levels on an English version, you know?
0: Yeah. So... Again, I think I called this out on Twitter, but you got to be careful because I'm pretty sure that game is procedurally generated. So I don't think using Uh, a walkthrough would work. Now, I do think that learning the expressions might work because the way it works is you're running around these burning buildings and there's just somebody kind of yelling in your ear. And I think the character's name is Show. Don't quote me on that. Don't correct me on that. I don't care. But if it's like... Show, turn left, show, go right. Like, you might be able to parse that out in Japanese and just memorize it and then play the yeah. game that way. That would be interesting, actually. But that's a pretty good game. I think it's an underrated Sonic team game, and it's one of the few Sega Saturn games that I've beaten.
1: Nice, man. Good to hear. Definitely a game that I've always wanted to try, but the price tag has always been sort of astronomical on the uh, North American version, so... Uh... Yeah, I'm hoping this one works out. As you know, I've really been putting a lot of effort into my Sega Genesis collection, especially getting box titles, and I've picked up several games over the last few weeks. I'm a big fan of Renovation, one of the developers for the Genesis. They make some of my favorite games on that system, and I feel is the best developer for the Genesis. picked up copies of Exile And also picked up a copy of Jennifer Capriati's Tennis. (laughs) I know that sounds funny, but I'm actually trying to get all the renovation titles. And so that just happens to be one of them. And, you know, I like sports games and got to admit, man, had kind of a crush on Jennifer Capriati back in the day. Do you remember her?
0: I remember the name, but I can't place the face right now.
1: All right, She was a really young tennis player back in the day. I think she started when she was like 13 or 14, and she would have been around my same age at that time as well. She was a pretty famous sports star around that time. Uh, you know, didn't dominate, but uh, just being so young got a lot of attention. I also picked up a copy of Super Thunderblade, which is a classic arcade port. For whatever reason, I didn't have that on the Genesis, but you know, it was one of my favorite Sega games in the arcade, along with OutRun and Space Harrier and games of that nature, so I uh, picked up a copy of that. Also grabbed a copy of Alex Kidd in Enchanted Castle. I've always been a fan of those Alex Kidd platforming games. I picked up a copy of Super Hydalide, which uh, I know the original on the NES is a horrible game. But I've heard the Genesis game is much improved and is actually a pretty decent game on the system. I also picked up a copy of The Addams Family on Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. I watched some videos on these games and I didn't realize that they were action platformers. And they're actually really cool games. Have you ever played these games on the Genesis or Super Nintendo, Sean?
0: Uh, I might have way back in the day, but I certainly don't remember it, and I don't own them now. So,
1: yeah, it's definitely something that I would suggest checking out if you're into platformers, like especially the Disney ones, like Ducktales and Rescue Rangers. It reminds me a lot of those, as far as the gameplay is concerned. Not overly difficult or anything like that. So, definitely something I would say check out. I also recently picked up a lot of Sega Genesis games on eBay that I got for a good price, and that included copies of Battletoads and Double Dragon and a copy of Cheeky Cheeky Boys box. Now, I already had a copy of Cheeky Cheeky Boys. It was a rough copy, but I was able to get these two games as well as a copy of Mystical Fighter Loose and a copy of Sonic Classics Loose. Uh, Another Super Nintendo game that I picked up was a game called F1 Rock 2. This was a game that someone had listed as one of their favorites in our RF Generation Top 20 Best Of for the Super Nintendo. If you like F-Zero, I would say this is a game that you should definitely get a copy of. It can be had for under 10 bucks. It's a really cool game. It has that same sort of Mode 7 that F-Zero does, but it has a little bit of a more Grand Prix feel to it. However, these sort of pit stops and things like that that you have in the F-Zero game, very similar, all the handling similar as well. And so, if you're really into F-Zero, I would say put this one on your list as something you should pick up. And a few minutes ago, you mentioned that you had a shelf and you have a specific place for your Dreamcast games, right? You're not trying to go for a full set. Yeah. So, I actually picked up the last Dreamcast game that I was looking for, and so now... I have a total of 13 Dreamcast games, and that's really as far as I want to take the collection. The game I picked up was Zombie Revenge, which is a sort of survival horror game, and I've heard really good things about it, and so that was the last one on my list.
0: I think it's more of a, an action-y game. You should try it, because it's more of an arcade like running around, picking up rocket launchers, like score attack kind of game.
1: Oh, that sounds even better. Yeah, I think you would
0: like it. It's, it's not. I'm pretty sure if we're talking about the same game, it's not really a survival horror game. It's more like third person House of the Dead.
1: Okay. Well, you do have zombies. It's horror. And you are trying to survive, right?
0: You're going to pull a muscle stretching like that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, but anyway, yeah, I picked that up for my collection, and at number 13, that's the last one I'm putting in there. Unless there's some gem out there somewhere that uh, pops up that I think I might be interested in. And then the final thing that I picked up, and you may be familiar with this arcade machine, Sean, if you've seen the documentary Man vs. Snake. I picked up an arcade cabinet of the game Nibbler. This is sort of a Pac-Man slash... Snake clone. Basically, you have a board that's like Pac Man and you have to eat these dots, but instead of enemies, you are your own enemy, and each time you eat a dot, the snake gets longer and longer. And so you have to keep maneuvering without coming back on yourself and hitting your body. It's a really, really challenging game. It's a lot of fun. I actually picked it up from a friend. I've told you about the arcade that I take my kids to all the time which is a local guy who has his own place. My kids played this game a lot in his arcade. They really loved it. He put it up for sale, so I actually have the one that's out of his arcade and picked it up at a very cheap price. This game is one that's somewhat difficult to find. It doesn't pop up often, so when he put it up, I contacted him immediately, jumped on it. It's always good to do business with people that you know well and you know you're not going to have any types of issues out of the machine. If you do, knowing them, they'll make those right. So that's it, man. Those are my pickups in the last month.
0: Awesome. Why don't we roll on into... What are you playing? Should I go first again? Sure, man. All right. Well, again, not too much here, unfortunately. Now, I've been using my... Quarantine time, even though I'm working full time, I do want to sharpen my focus and attention because I've gone down the news rabbit hole so hard that it's really scrambling my brain and that's like super troubling. So I've started reading like crazy. Any free time I have, I'm just reading, trying to stay off social media, trying to avoid news, avoid YouTube kind of stuff. Having said that, I'm not playing a ton, but I. Did manage to finish Fable 2 (laughs) just in time for this recording.
1: Uh, Yesterday, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think I took a jab at you, even though I finished it on the last day of the month.
0: (laughs) To be fair, I've been playing it since January. I put a lot of quality time into it, but I really did have to race for the finish line to get done in time for this recording. So I finished Tales of Hearts R, which was that long RPG that I was playing on one of my PlayStation Vita's. It was a fantastic game. I loved it. I was very happy with it. The one thing that I was really nitpicky about is that at the end of every battle, there's this little bit of banter between the characters. And it's different each time, depending on who's in your party. And there's different little quips and jokes that they say after each battle, but you can't skip it. And it's like, if you were able to skip those, it would shave like five hours off of the gameplay, <laughs> like the the complete, because it took me over 40 hours to beat it. So that's my only complaint about the game. Otherwise, if you have a Vita and or you're a fan of the Tales of series, it's a really high quality Tales title that you can play on a handheld so, I finally finished that, and that was like a big weight off my shoulder because I've been playing that for a very long time. So, I really wanted to play something short and like easy, so to speak. But I fired up my 3DS, the one I just got with Hello Kitty on it, and I played a game called Liberation Maiden, which is a Studio Grasshopper eShop, I believe, digital only game. It's kind of like Star Fox or. Panzer Dragoon in that you're moving around a ship that shoots things. But there's a couple gimmicks to the game, one of which is that it's a sci-fi futuristic drama in which you're a female mech pilot who is also the president of Japan. So <laughs> you have this like guy talking to you the whole time and he says, Madam President, we need to you know, take out these targets. And she's like, OK, I'm on it. So that was pretty cool. Like the wacky anime aesthetic of it was awesome. The other thing that was kind of a gimmick or something to look out for is that you shoot by using the stylus on the touch screen. So you got to use the claw hand method because you're moving either the D pad or the thumbstick to move the ship around. But then you can lock on with the L shoulder button. There's a lot of mini bosses in the game, so you can lock onto the mini boss and kind of circle strafe around them as you're scrubbing your stylus over them to shoot them. So it's a pretty unique and fun game, and it's only about an hour long, believe it or not. I didn't even beat it in one sitting because I didn't realize it was one hour long. I played it like one level at a time, and then I played level four and five, and then the game was over. But still, I highly recommend it because it's just really fun. It has that 3DS kind of style with the anime and the sound and the wackiness. The graphics are really good. And I just liked it a lot. I don't understand, like at the end, it it leads into, it's not a cliffhanger. It's almost like it's going to go to an episode two. So I don't know where they took it from here because I think it was also available on iOS, like uh, mobile devices, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if there's a part two somewhere or something, but. That's a game that I was just able to pick up, blast through and finish. And that felt really good after playing Fable 2 for three months and playing Tales of Hearts for two <laughs> months. Like it was nice to just have this like palette cleanser of this little shooter game that takes about an hour to finish. And then the other thing that was kind of cool is last weekend, my wife, I was just sitting on the couch and she was like, hey, do you want to play Victor Van?" And I was like, I actually don't really want to play Victor Vram because we haven't played it in a long time. And the last time we tried to play it, we didn't really remember what we were doing and it was just a pain in the ass and we stopped playing. So why don't we play some new games? So we went on the PS4 and I was just looking at all the digital games I had and trying to pick out ones that I knew were couch multiplayer. So we played a little bit of Dead Nation, which is a twin stick shooter it's actually like a diablo kind of game but it's a zombie game so you're running around in a diablo style view and you have guns and grenades and little dash moves and stuff it's a pretty cool game you go from checkpoint to checkpoint and then there's boss battles you can upgrade your weapons and i like that one a lot then we played a little bit of curses and chaos which i believe is a game that you have rich physically And that's just like a single screen brawler with waves coming at you. We didn't play that one for that long. I I wasn't really impressed by it. Similar game we played next was called Towerfall Ascension. Again, a single screen wave based thing. But the gimmick is that you have a bow and arrow and you have a limited number of arrows. So like four or you can upgrade and get five or six or whatever. But when you shoot them, you can go get them back. If you miss an enemy with them, they stick to a wall and you can, like, kind of jump and get them. Or if you defeat the enemy, it lands on the ground and your arrow is still there. So you got to go and get it. Pretty cool game, but it's very hard. And (laughs) if I'm not good at video games, my wife is even worse. So for us to try and play, like, (laughs) difficult games like that is a pain. And then the last one we tried was trying to. Which Trine 2 apparently has really good reviews, but what put me off from it was that it seems like 100% environmental puzzles, which, you know, they're the bane of my existence. So if you like environmental puzzles and you like couch co-op, I would recommend this game because each character has their own abilities and You know, the magician can move stuff with his magic and then the thief has a grappling hook that she can go up and reach high ledges and each one specializes in something and you can switch between the characters, but then your player one and player two can be different characters and you can cooperate to solve the puzzles. So it seems like a cool game, but it's just kind of not my thing. And actually, my wife was kind of disappointed when I said I didn't want to play that one because I think she was kind of getting into it. So... Yeah, that was really actually a really cool afternoon. I love playing video games with my wife and we just don't do it enough. And it was kind of cool that she came to me. I didn't have to bug her to do it, which is usually the story. So it was a fun afternoon. I would highly recommend Dead Nation. That was my favorite one. Maybe because it's like the most conventional, not super challenging, just running around shooting zombies, leveling up, you know, going checkpoint to checkpoint. Pretty cool, fun game. So that's it. That's all I'm playing. I started Control this morning and played about an hour of it. And other than that, not too much else going on.
1: Awesome, man. I actually played more games than I thought I would this month, especially since I started playing Fable 2 about three days before the end of the month. A lot of late nights, man. Kind of crazy, but we'll get into that in a minute. One of the games that I played last month, I also continued into this month, and that was Valphorus, It's that run-and-gun shooter that I told you about, and I'm just really enjoying that game more and more. It's just such a well-done run-and-gun game. The boss battles are really neat, and not only that, I think they're like very fair. You have to learn different tactics in all the different boss battles, but it's not overly complicated and frustrating like a lot of games are, especially a lot of running gun games. So I've definitely been putting a lot of time into that. And again, highly recommend it for anyone interested in more modern running guns. One of the games that my entire family has been putting a lot of time into, and the Pink DS is getting some workout, Sean, is Plants versus Zombies. My wife has always been a big fan of tower defense games. She's got one on her phone that she's been playing for at least four years now. And she picked up Plants vs. Zombies along with my three-year-old. And so they've been playing the crap out of that. And of course, I've gotten drawn into it because I don't want to call myself an expert on the game. But uh, I'm pretty good at it. And so you know I've been sharing tips and uh, kind of digging into it as well. And then I would mentioned I had picked up a box copy of the game Cheeky Cheeky Boys for the Genesis. And I actually popped that in a few nights ago to test it, but I ended up playing it for a few hours. And uh, it's a game that I really enjoy. It's a very simplistic platformer. The levels are super short, and it's pretty much mostly made up of boss battles. Like I said, it's more of a platformer, I would say, for... I don't want to say for a younger generation, but it's one that anyone could pick up and have a lot of fun with. And I highly recommend adding this game to your Genesis collection if you don't have a copy of it. And then the final game I wanted to talk about is a game that you talked about over a year ago, I guess... My eight-year-old son has been playing an RPG on his tablet. It is sort of like a turn-based sort of thing. But the aggravating thing to me about this is that it has auto battle on it. And there's no way to do turn-based battling and pick what spells and things like that you want to do. So I was talking to him and I was like, hey, man, we need to kind of get you into an RPG and find something that you might like that's turn-based and a little bit more strategic. And so we came up to my game room today, and I actually popped in a copy of Crusader of Sinti. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't really realize that this was more of an action RPG as opposed to a traditional turn-based RPG. But uh, he and I sat up here for a few hours a day and played it, and I gotta say, it's a really fun game. It's not overly difficult, but there are some puzzle elements to it that are a little bit tricky... And I can see that this is probably going to be a game at some point I may have to console a walkthrough for, because everything's not super intuitive, but from what I've gathered so far, intuitive enough to where I've been able to figure it out in a short amount of time, though I've had a little bit of difficulty with it. But uh, yeah, man, I'm really digging this game, and I think it's one that I'm probably going to end up finishing.
0: Yeah, I really like that game, and I believe I had to look up a few parts of it in a walkthrough i could see that did you get the like animal power-ups yet where they like hover around your sprite as you walk around i love those
1: i ended up getting the dog okay. of course because <laughs> that's one of the first ones you get and i couldn't figure out how to actually talk to the rabbit and then i just kind of finally put it together oh wait the first town has animals in it. let me talk to those i talked to the cows talked to the chickens and i was like what and then it's like i'm just gonna walk <laughs> around a little bit and i saw the dog I was like My dog, of course, you know, and so I did that and you know, it just kinda came together. I was able to talk to the rabbit. And then later today I actually made it to the animal village. So that's where I'm at right now. I just beat the uh octopus boss. And so, yeah, I put a good bit of time into it today, and uh, I really enjoy it. I think my only complaint so far is when you fight enemies, even though they have a life meter, there's, like, no hit detection to let you know that you hit them. They don't, like, flash or make a noise or anything when you hit them, though you take energy off of them. So it's kind of hard to tell, okay, am I hitting this boss or not, you know, without looking at the energy bar of them, but... I guess that's what it's for, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But uh, I really enjoy the game a lot. And uh, just wanted to throw something out to our listeners real quick, if I may. My eight-year-old's into RPGs. I would like to find one that is a more turn-based RPG for him to play. So any suggestions, especially suggestions for a handheld, would be very, very appreciated. And please, no Pokemon, he loves Pokemon, but I just cannot take that. But something that is more of a traditional group turn-based RPG would be great.
0: I have one, and I think you might own a copy of this, if you don't mind. I'll I'll give you a suggestion. Absolutely. Uh, the game Nostalgia for the DS is a very nuts and bolts, basic, perfect starter RPG. It's definitely a throwback to like the 16-bit era. No frills, no deep, complicated systems. It's just attack, item, spell kind of stuff, dragon quest kind of stuff. But you have a three-member party, and there's also airship battles. So it's not just totally rote, traditional stuff, because there is the little added gimmick of you have airship battles. But I played that game a few years back, actually, on that pink DS that you have, and I really, really liked it. So... I would recommend that for a young person looking to start with a quality but basic turn-based RPG.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if I have that one yet, but I have picked it up and put it down several times. It's one that I've always been interested in, so I really, really appreciate that recommendation, man. With school being out and everything right now, one of the things I would like for him to have is an RPG where there's some reading involved as well, you know? Because the one he's playing on his tablet, there's no reading or anything involved in that one. However, they do have different characters like the warrior, the mage... Rogues and things like that. And so we're able to talk about what characters are you going to put up front. So he understands what a tank is. You know, he knows that you need to put your casters toward the back and that sort of thing. So it does have some very basic elements that he's already picked up on. And so I really do like that about it. And I'm hoping that I can get him into more handheld or console type games. So, uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate that recommendation and uh, hope to hear some others from uh, some of our audience. We'll be
0: All right, so this month we played Fable 2 for the show and as usual we'll start off with our question of the month and as I mentioned before it's kind of related to world events going on right now because they're just so hard to avoid and everybody's in the thick of some kind of quarantine situation. So the question is this, In the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, what fable best describes your current situation? And going to Twitter, we have Adam Bickley, Bickman2k, our good friend. He says, the grasshopper and the octopus. The grasshopper kept burying acorns for winter while the octopus mooched off his girlfriend and watched TV. Winter came, the grasshopper died, the octopus ate all of his acorns, then he got a race car. Now, that's not how I remember that fable going, Rich. (laughs) I don't remember an octopus being a part of it. So for those who are interested, the tweet includes a link to a YouTube video. Apparently that's a scene from Futurama. So a humorous take on it. He also adds that he's stir crazy. Like all of us. (laughs) Uh, Next, we got buried on Mars, our good friend Kevin. He says, the never ending story, the title says it all so yeah (laughs) um the pocky x our good friend thomas he says pt now rich do you know what that means
1: i have no idea (laughs) but i'm assuming it has something to do with anime
0: uh close if you know thomas's other passion which is silent hill uh, P.T., if you remember, was the playable teaser for the Silent Hills game that ended up getting canceled. It was supposed to have Norman Reedus in it, and it was going to be directed by Hideo Kojima. This is a kind of a funny answer because P.T., unfortunately, I never got to play it, but I saw enough YouTube footage of it, and it's just you're walking through this kind of very creepily haunted house, just like looking around and discovering these grotesque things around your house. So I guess that's what Thomas is doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm not hip on the lore of those games, but uh yeah, that's a very pocky answer.
0: <laughs> Next we have I don't even know his whole Twitter handle here, but it's our good friend Metal Fro, Josh. <laughs> he just says, uh groundhog day, not much has changed for me, other than fewer places are open for business and I can't go see anyone outside of work. Days bleed together. And I totally feel that. That's why one of the things I'm doing is kind of keeping track of we're about to go into week four of quarantine, just so that like I don't lose track of life and time, you know? So I try to realize what day it is every day of the week and realize what <laughs> week we're in and the date. Yeah. So I get, I get what he's <laughs> saying here.
1: You know how I keep track of the days? Uh, no. I keep my medication filled up you know i've got one of those like old oh, strips, man like strips yeah <laughs> where monday through sunday and that's how i know what day it is it's the only way i can keep up with what day i'm supposed to go to work i know that feeling
0: <laughs> and then lastly we have a new i don't know if he's a new listener but he recently followed me and a couple other people that i know it's dave smith and he says the tale of icarus So shout out to Dave Smith. I don't know if you've been listening for a long time or if you just found the show, but welcome aboard and thanks for listening. Thanks for the follow on Twitter. And the Mm -hmm. tale of Icarus, I wonder what angle he's approaching this from. Like, man, we created this bioweapon, you know, maybe allegedly and flew too close to the sun trying to bioengineer things and it just got out of control and now we're plummeting to earth. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's what I took from just flying too close to the sun, you know, yeah. and just kind of in that free fall right now.
0: Yeah. So that's it from Twitter, Rich. What about yourself?
1: Man, I came up with this question and I could not think of a good answer, though. I will say this, probably the fable that I think of most during this, and as far as my situation, is probably the fox and the grasshopper. That's sort of the one that Adam was referencing in the beginning, where the grasshopper, Kanda lounges around, doesn't want to work, and winter's coming around the corner, and he's not putting enough food away and stuff like that, and the ant is, you know, storing food, and in the more kid-friendly tale, the grasshopper is freezing to death, the ant comes and brings him in and helps him out. In the actual tale, the Aesop tale, which they're all super brutal, he freezes to death. My thing is that before this sort of started, when I first heard about it, I have a government job, so we were briefed very early on what was going on and kind of knew how serious this was. And so I was able to go out and buy a lot of groceries and do things like that in waves. I wasn't going out and going nuts buying things. I was just buying several canned goods every time I'd go out creating sort of a stockpile while not hoarding. And so I felt like that I had to be very prepared with a family of five. And the only thing that we've almost run out of was toilet paper. We we're down to three rolls. I put an order in on Amazon. And if you've seen my Twitter page today, I actually dressed up like John Cusack from Say Anything and held toilet paper over my head instead of a boom box. So I don't know if you've seen that picture, but man... It is nice to know that this house has toilet paper.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's good. You don't want to run out of that.
1: (laughs) No. It's been
0: impossible to find here. And yeah, I totally like your choice of fable. When you proposed this question, that was the first one my mind went to. And um, Adam kind of put a parody version of that. So it actually forced me to think of something else. But I'm actually glad that you went with the original fable because it's something I... I feel kind of strongly about, you know, I feel bad. I hear stats and you've probably heard this, that like a certain high percentage of people doesn't have like a thousand dollars put aside for an emergency. People are living paycheck to paycheck. It's challenging and it can be really challenging to save money. I totally, totally understand that. But we all can save money somehow, you know, what it. Amounts to is making sacrifices in your comfort zone. For example, you probably have a Netflix subscription. You can cancel it and that will save you $11 a month. On top of that, maybe you have other streaming subscriptions. Cancel them all and you'll save a lot of money a month. That sounds really painful and sucky, but you have to do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm sitting on this stupid ass video game collection. I'm not going to complain that I can't save money. I'm going to sell this. (laughs) And I like the like you said, the happy version of this fairy tale, because it ends with the prepared person helping out the unprepared person. But that doesn't mean that everybody shouldn't try to be prepared in the best way they can, because one person might have money. But another person might have toilet paper that they want to trade for disinfectant spray. And I've been in that situation with this all going on. So it's not just about money. It can also be about, like you were talking about, having canned goods. And you might be able to trade or barter or to help people in other ways other than just monetarily. Anyway. Great choice. And it's something like I said, I feel kind of strongly about it. So and the other thing, too, is when I say I don't feel bad for people who are in this situation is because they've been lied to their entire lives. And we've been told that spending money is good for the economy and don't save and and all this other stuff that is just really the worst form of anti-wisdom that you could ever be brought up with. It's just so prescriptive for the disaster that we're in right now that mm-hmm. I have a lot of sympathy and I have a lot of sympathy for people who are in tons of student debt because they were lied to. So don't take this as I'm like, oh, get up by your bootstraps and you should have saved money. It's it's not exactly that, but don't buy into the conventional wisdom. And that actually kind of leads me into my answer for this question. The fable to me that kind of best describes the situation that's going on right now to me is the Emperor's New Clothes. The story of the Emperor's New Clothes is that you have this narcissistic emperor. He wants to make a new outfit. Pompous ass. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) So he hires these tailors, but they are con men. So they tell him they're going to make a gown for him that only his most loyal and enlightened followers can see. But it's actually that he's... He's naked, right? So he arranges this march. And the thing is that everybody kind of plays along with it because they don't want to be seen as the ones who can't see the clothes, quote unquote. So the whole moral of the story is the illusion of power and the illusion of status. And I think in a world where we're seeing these institutions, and I don't mean just government, largely I'm talking about the government, but there's also you know, these NGOs and government adjacent institutions that are just failing us hard. And we are not learning our lessons from things like Hurricane Katrina and all these other disasters that we've had. We need to band together as a community and help ourselves rather than going to the government and expecting them to fix everything because they're incompetent, They're pompous asses, as you said, and they're just worried about themselves. I mean, we saw this with these senators who dumped all their corona risk stocks before the news came out about the severity of the virus. That's just evil. You know what I mean? So
1: It's also illegal.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Highly. But these people will never see justice, so it kind of boggles my mind when, when I go on Twitter and I, I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. You're arguing about like which sociopath is going to be the next one in line to just not give a <laughs> about you and just to reap the benefits of this corrupt ass system. And I'll vote for this guy cause I like him and I'll vote for this woman cause I like her. It doesn't matter who's in there. The whole system is designed to make the bankers mostly filthy rich to expand the currency. And it's starting to crumble. And the mask is slipping where people are seeing that the emperor has no clothes. It all remains to be seen how it's going to play out. But I'm extremely interested how the world will look one month from now, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. It's going to be crazy. And I've talked about it before when we talked about the warfare state, like the American empire is just begging to crumble. (laughs) So, you know, I don't like getting political stuff on Twitter. Please don't at me at Twitter, but DM me and I'm happy to talk about it. So, yeah, yeah. I know I went on a little bit of a tangent. Try not to be super political. I want this to be more like, hey, like as a person, as a community, like we have to be empowered and just understand the emperor has no clothes. That doesn't mean revolt in my eyes. It doesn't mean we need chaos in the streets. And I hope there's no like civil unrest With all this, I think what it means is we need to focus inward, focus on our community, our family, our neighbors, and Mm -hmm. not just look to these failed institutions who have been lying to us since their inceptions, basically, to help us. Because they won't, and they'll continue to lie to us. Yeah,
1: just let the emperor walk around, but just don't look at his (laughs) wang. There you go. Take care of
0: yourself. Thanks for making me laugh. That was good. I was getting a little intense there. I appreciate that.
1: It was getting heavy, man. (laughs) (laughs) But just to respond to that, I'm going to start off with an apology. If any of you work in the IT field, I'm just speaking from my experience with IT people that I've worked with in my past few jobs. The way I look at government, and especially with when chaos ensues like it has now, is that it's like some (laughs) shit goes wrong with my computer, and they put a Band-Aid fix on mine, but they don't take care of everybody else's that is going to have the same problem in the future. I feel like that's what our government is. They just wait for something to happen. They slap a Band-Aid on it, and they don't prepare for the worst possible scenario. And because of that, we've been caught with our pants down, literally. No pun intended from your Emperor story, but... uh,
0: I like that analogy.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel. And again... I'm sure we have a lot of IT people, listeners. I know you know a lot of the guys on the site, a lot of our good friends are, and I'm sure they're really great at their jobs. But just speaking from my experience and the people that I've worked with, that just seems to be a part of the culture that I've worked around. So I hate it, but like you said, I think we just have to focus on each other. We have to stop looking at the emperor, stop looking at all those people up there, stop watching the news because... To me, this is the biggest problem is the news has been so sensational on both sides. When stuff is actually happening that's bad, we don't believe it because it's like crying wolf. It's that fable, right? (laughs) Maybe that's the fable I should have gone with.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up. The Boy Who Cried Wolf. I've heard it brought up on so many other (laughs) podcasts, to be quite honest with you. And the one point that's so great about that story is that at the end, there is a wolf. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we are the boy who cried wolf and the wolf is here now. I'm so glad you brought that up.
1: You know, and it's funny. I was watching the news the other night. I don't watch the news, but I have been watching it for maybe about 20 minutes every night just to kind of get updates to see what's going on for the sake of my family. You know, I just, I just want these updates and it keeps me informed and it makes me not worry about it as much, which is kind of the opposite effect. But, The funny thing that I heard was that, oh, well, we've got these polls going and it's showing that 68% of Americans don't trust the media. And maybe that's just a number I'm coming up with. It was a high number. But anyway, and they're like dumbfounded by it. And I'm like, how can you be dumbfounded about it when I'm scrolling through YouTube TV and I'm looking at the highlights of everything and it's all negative? It's all politically biased, even the headlines, you know, to get you to click on it. And it's like, when something happens like this, why are we still trying to win this election during this time? That should be the last thing we should think about, is throwing someone under the bus. Right now is when we should be working together more than anything. And I think that our media and our politicians, they're not going to stop what they're doing. So we have to take it upon ourselves as individuals to just cut the bullshit and work together to get this thing to go away, you know?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there's a, a really strong culture of people complying with the social is- isolation, which is good because we don't want to force the government's hand into some kind of lockdown or martial law situation. And, and, you know, the term lockdown is used like super loosely, right? Because yeah, it like is. you were saying- It's a very negative term. Uh, right. And also- as you were saying before, it seems like everybody is essential, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, Texas down here is like super, super liberal with the policies, especially like in Austin, we've been in this stay in place rules for like two weeks. And then Texas went under an official lockdown recently. But dude, I work in a complex with like a furniture moving place and like an HVAC repair shop. And it's like, Are they essential, I guess, like, or are they just ignoring it and continuing to work? Like, I don't know. But having said that, I do think there's a a very strong like, hey, like, just stay at home. Again, we need to help each other, help your fellow human being by just bearing with it and, you know, ride it out. Make yourself some homemade masks and wear PPE when you go in public. That's something that I've been doing for The past two weeks or so. And that's another thing that the media lied to us about the WHO and these other governmental organizations They said, I don't wear masks. They don't do anything. It turns out that's not true. It's common yep. sense. If you cover your mask, like you could wear a scarf and you're more protected than if you were just wearing nothing. So I posted on Twitter, there's a really cool DIY, all you needed is a bandana and two rubber bands, and you can make a pretty badass looking mask. (laughs) And uh, please do that when you go out. And wear glasses if you can, because your eyes are exposed as well. So,
1: Yeah, I actually purchased masks when I first heard about this. I didn't go bonkers. I bought a small pack just for my family members. I just did not see how something that's airborne and contagious you wouldn't need a mask for and i know we're trying to protect our healthcare workers and i get that
0: no i'm glad you
1: brought that up those people but at the same time i have to worry about my family too and i'm not going to go overboard with it but i do want at least one for each of my family members so i did make that happen yeah man crazy times we live in
0: all right where the hell were we can we talk about fable now
1: (laughs) (laughs) i hope so man and this got really heavy. I wonder how much of this I'm going to need to cut out.
0: <laughs> no, but this is great. This is really my only like forum to talk about this stuff. And I'm really like sometimes deep in the weeds on this stuff. Like my wife went down this really bad rabbit hole of like getting mad at Trump. And I was just like, please stop. You're wasting your emotions. You're wasting your time. Don't give yep. Trump, you know, rent free time in your mind. Please stop. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm also like, how could they be telling people not to wear masks? Like, so it's just a crazy time. But that's why we have video games because they help us take our mind off things. And uh, Fable 2 has been a good friend of mine for the past like three months. So I'm excited to finally start talking about it here.
1: You're three months to my three days.
0: let's go over our participants. So first of all, of course, you and me, as always, Dougley007, as always, Mr. Stubbs, as always, and then Disposed Hero came in, but he decided not to finish the game, which is fine. No problem. Uh, Happy to have you along, Steven. It's not a huge pool of people, but we had some really good commentary from the group, as usual, which we'll get to in a little bit. As far as the development of the game, we really can't tell the story of any of the fable games without telling a little bit about peter molyneux so peter molyneux has been in the gaming industry since the 80s he's been around for a long time he worked for a studio called bullfrog productions and they made such games as Populous, magic carpet and syndicate bullfrog ended up actually getting bought out by ea and Molyneux didn't really like the way it was going there, so he left and ended up forming Lionhead Studios, and they created such games as the Black and White series and the Fable series. Now, for a career that long, that's a super nutshell condensed version of his career, and it's very interesting. There's a lot of drama with Bullfrog being bought up at EA, and then... Forming Lionhead, and then Lionhead got bought out by Microsoft. So there's all these like acquisitions and mergers and all business stuff in the in the history there. And also, other developers that were involved in Bullfrog went off and formed other studios, which have their own claims to fame. And it's all very complex of a story. But Peter Molyneux is kind of one of those characters in the game industry. He's kind of like David Cage. To me, David Cage of Quantic Dream, who we've talked about many times on the show as we've played most of their games now, he's kind of like this figurehead guy. He's a personality. He does a lot of outgoing media stuff, interviews, and one of his kind of quirks and something either you love him or hate him for is that he makes these really lofty promises about his games before they come out that mostly end up not coming to fruition, So there's this cliched example of when they were developing the first Fable game. He said, you will be able to plant an acorn and a tree will grow as you play through the game. So that ended up not happening. And all these other like lofty promises (laughs) that he had made. In the end, you you know, we played Fable 2, but the whole series of games is basically, you know, a cool Western style RPG with like hack and slash elements. You know, there's no world changing game changing kind of things in it. So there's a lot of things about Peter Molyneux that a lot of people hate, but I'm actually a big fan. I'll just share one thing that's kind of a funny memory that I have. I was listening to the Giant Bombcast a long time ago they were taking listener questions. And um, one of the questions was, would you still play games from a developer who was convicted of murder? And Bradley Shoemaker said, is it Peter Molyneux? <laughs> and I, was like, I thought that was really funny because it just shows like some people really love his work, you know, for as many people hate him, some people really, really love his work. So I think I'm one of those people who really enjoys and loves his work. So when it comes to the Fable series, it was started in 2004 with the release of Fable on the original Xbox and eventually the PC. Fable 2, developed by Lionhead and directed by Peter Molyneux, was released in 2008 It is an Xbox 360 exclusive. You cannot play it on anything else except for an Xbox One, on which it is backwards compatible. This game never came to PC or any other platforms, which is odd because the other two games in the Fable series are available on PC. So that's a weird little footnote to this game. But yeah, that's Fable 2. Now, Rich... We usually talk about our histories with game series. I'm pretty sure you don't have one, but let me know. Have you dabbled in the Fable games, ever fired one up? Do you have any history with the series at all? Or any of Peter Molyneux or Lionhead's Project, Black and White, or Populous, you know, anything like that?
1: I have not. And furthermore, I want to say, this is the first game that I've ever played on the Xbox 360. (laughs) 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 i've had this system for gosh maybe three or four years now and uh, i bought it in a box at a pawn shop for 50 bucks and this is the first time not that i've turned it on but the first time that uh, i've played a game on it so uh yeah, I actually really like the controller a lot. I've never played with the 360 oh, yeah. controller and I know that people have hyped this controller up and how ergonomic it is, how good it feels. And I got to say, they're right. It's a great controller. It feels great in your hand. And, uh, yeah, didn't have any issues with playing the game.
0: That's awesome. I should note that I played it this time around on the Xbox One. I do own a physical copy of the 360, but it's actually on Game Pass. So I just downloaded it and played it digitally this time around. So yeah, my history with this game is kind of cool because it was around that 2012 time frame. And I've talked about this many, many times. I just completely revamped the way I play video games in 2012 in two major ways I started tracking all the games I was beating I was beating games first and foremost like if I started a game it was with the intention to beat it and not just dabble and mess around with games but to actually complete them and the other thing is I started playing RPGs again for the first time since the original Dragon Warrior I just didn't have any interest in RPGs until around that time and I just decided wow like I've been avoiding this entire genre of games and RPG elements at that time were starting to creep into other games and it's like I might as well just dive in I want to learn more about this genre and this world so it was in 2012 that I asked Jesse to recommend <laughs> some because he was really into RPGs always the first one I played was Eternal Sonata, which was my first Japanese RPG. But Fable 2 was the first Western RPG that I played when I started playing RPGs. Now, Fable 2 is not this deep, you know, systems-heavy, numbers-heavy RPG. But it does have an experience system. It has magic. It has upgrades. It has clothing, weapons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So... Yes, it's very light on the RPG stuff. Definitely like a baby's first RPG kind of situation. It was perfect for me at that time because I played it and I was just like, oh, this is very comfortable. You know, I'm not intimidated by any of the systems in this game. It's very tactile, intuitive, just a very easy game to get into. And on top of that, I really loved it. My first playthrough back then was very enjoyable i really loved the game i ended up going and playing the whole series i think i went back to one and played one after that and then went to three a lot of people don't like three but i actually enjoyed it but fable 2 i think will always be my favorite for reasons that we'll get into so yeah that's my history with it and that's why i was so excited to go replay it because i had that kind of history it has a very special place in my heart so let's get into the story, Rich. So last month, we started something new called The Story in 60 Seconds. And Rich, I really enjoyed this because, you know, the worst part of the <laughs> or one of my least favorite parts of doing this is trying to summarize and do a book report on the story of a game <laughs> because I just can never keep all the plot points in my head. So I love that we've introduced, you know, where applicable and where necessary, we can do this condensed version of the story plot so i understand you have one for this month
1: indeed i do
2: story in 60 seconds
1: welcome to the world of albion it's nearly 500 years after the fall of the jack of blades the heroes guild has collapsed due to the rise of increasingly corrupt heroes and the citizens of albion's will to destroy it a more modern age of war has risen Cities have expanded, and a new evil lurks around the corner. You play as Sparrow, a young orphan of the streets, whose only family is her older sister Rose. After your parents' death, the two of you navigate a life of poverty, until one day a mysterious character appears and convinces you to purchase a magical box. With the turn of a handle, you make a wish to someday live in Fairfax Castle, and the next day you are summoned before its owner, Lord Lucian. Lucian determines that you and your sister are descendants of a line of heroes and that he must destroy you so that you cannot thwart his plans. Though you lose your sister to this madman, you survive a great fall and soon learn of your legacy. Now it's time to seek revenge. Enter a world of fantasy, magic, and adventure. Enter the world of Fable 2.
0: <laughs> Once again, I love these. They're just so good. This should be the back of the box. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've really enjoyed writing these, man. It really gives me uh, kind of a better perspective on the story and helps me kind of recount it. My short-term memory is not as good as it used to be when I was younger. So, uh, yeah, it's really nice.
0: Yeah, I think you might have a new calling as a blurb writer (laughs) for games. Well, if it's
1: lucrative, uh, contact me on Twitter, please. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, actually... I like this game does have a simple story, you know, it's a revenge tale, basically. And I like all the kind of hero stuff. It's not like medieval. uh, That was almost the word I wanted to latch on to. But it's, you know, the game's called Fable, but it's almost more like legends, you know, Mm -hmm. with the heroes. And you meet up with different characters who are like the hero of strength and the hero of will, you know. Right. So... It really sets up nice trappings for the story. It goes into this traditional problem with, with RPGs, which is that you're supposed to be saving the world, but yet you can run around sleeping with prostitutes or bartending. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so... I love that this story is, like, you have to prepare for this battle with the bad guy Lucian, And your whole motivation is simply that he killed your sister and you have to take revenge.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the story on its face, right? Luckily, this enacting of revenge also helps you save the world in a sense, you know? So, um, you know, it becomes sort of a heavier plot in that sense, especially later in the game. And I like what you said about you kind of had this free format to where you can go around, you can do different jobs, you can actually marry in this game and do other things to kind of create your own persona With a title like Fable... It really describes a lot of what you're doing in the game, creating these personas and creating yourself as a hero and how people in the community and the land of Albion feel about you. And so I think that's kind of neat that the title is very reflexive of what you're doing in the game and creating your legacy, so to speak.
0: Awesome. All right. So let's move on into gameplay. The game is a third person action adventure, right? So you are, you can select a male or female character, which is great. And of course I chose female and I think you did as well, right? I did. Cool. So I love that right off the bat. You're in a open ish world, right? It's an open world that's kind of segmented into different regions that you can travel through, but they're pretty big regions and there's, different towns that you can go to there's also a fast travel system that you can use almost at will like you can just be in a menu and just fast travel to somewhere else so that's super convenient you can also choose a main quest or a side quest out of the menu and just fast travel right to it which is great so you're just running around talking to people accepting quests typical rpg stuff there is combat and the combat system it's one of the areas the game shines because you have your strength attack, which is melee, you have your will attack, which is magic, and your skill attack, which is ranged weapons, which you start with a crossbow, but you can get pistols and flintlocks and blunderbusses and all these cool, like old timey weapons. And I think we should say the aesthetic of the game, even though this is kind of a fantasy world. It's, what would you say, 1600s, 1700s Europe? You know more about history than I do. The third game takes place during an industrial revolution of sorts. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, this game is before those kind of times. Like, there's no factories and steam pipes in this game. It's way more quaint than that.
1: Yeah, it's almost between the industrial age and sort of feudalism, if you will. Yeah. It's a real mixed bag, too. I mean, I feel like there's things that are in the game, and I can't like really pinpoint them in my head right now, that weren't around at that time. You know, That feels, I don't want to say steampunkish, but a little bit more futuristic and doesn't really line up with the history of our world. I don't know when condoms were invented, but I'm sure they weren't around (laughs) at that time. (laughs) That's just one example, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: But it does have a distinctly European feel, I would say, right? Oh, absolutely. Everybody has English or otherwise European, Western European type accents, and the whole thing just has that vibe to it. So let's stay in the combat since that's what I started talking about. So what I love about the combat, Rich, is that the actions that I just described are each mapped to a face button. So X is your melee attack, Y is your ranged attack, and is it B or A? I believe
1: B is the magic, and then X is your sword, and Y is your um, gun skill or your uh, ranged weapon, right?
0: Yep, I actually stepped out of the room and grabbed the controller because <laughs> I wanted to get it right. Yeah, so the cool thing about that is that There's a depth to each one of them, so your X for your melee, you can hold it to block, and then you can press a direction and hold it to do stronger attacks, or you can just mash on it to do combos, and then you can upgrade those combos with your experience. For the ranged weapons on the Y button, you start out where you can just kind of mash the Y button and you shoot away at the enemies, but then you can upgrade to the point where you can hold Y and it kind of zooms in and you can shoot certain body parts because it targets over your shoulder. One thing I found super useful is you can actually focus as you hold the button and it does major damage. And this is especially useful in boss fights.
1: Even headshots that you can uh, work up later on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then for the magic on the B button, It's really cool. There's all different kinds of magic, like fire, lightning. There's like this chaos thing that makes enemies go crazy and fight each other. There's these flying knives, but each one of those has a different like way to use it. And there's like six levels, I believe, of each spell. And you can dial them in. So you have this like tiered spell system where you can have your level one lightning spell. And then level two, you can have level two lightning, or you could put like fire on level two. And then the next level up, and there's like all different ones, and you can really customize this system. And that's one of the things I love about this game. Also, you can respec any of your upgrades. So in my playthrough this time, I did fire all the way up to level five, and then I was like, well, I want to try lightning. So I sold back all my fire upgrades and upgraded to lightning, and I actually liked it a lot more because high-level lightning spells just... Friggin' wrecked the enemies and it was awesome. So, I really, really like that level of customization and the magic. So, certain spells you can just press the thumbstick in a direction of an enemy and press B and it'll shoot a fireball or whatever at one enemy. Or you can do an area of effect by holding down the B button. And then what happens is that's how you climb up the ladder of how you have your spells set. So, if you hold it for like one second, you get this level one fire and then you hold it down for two or three seconds. It climbs up the ladder to whatever you have set to like if you get all the way to level five without getting hit, then you do like the mega strongest spell that you have whatever's set in there. So I thought this was really cool because... What I did towards the end of the game where I really settled into a groove was I did force push up to level three. If I was getting really crowded, I would like force push on level one or two and just kind of knock the enemies away from me. And then while they were stunned, I was charging up all the way to lightning level five or six. And then I just baked them. And it was friggin' awesome. (laughs) And then uh, I found that if you do things strategically like that, you get a little bit more experience. We should mention that The experience system is when you do damage, and especially when you defeat an enemy, you get these little orbs that are your experience, and you have to vacuum them up by holding the R trigger. And I actually think this is a really creative and different dynamic to an experience system because they don't stay on the ground for very long. So if you're in a fight where they're just getting sprinkled everywhere... You really want to get those because that's how you get your upgrades. So one of the most valuable upgrades, in my opinion, is the dodge roll. So the dodge roll maps to the A button. So as you're running around hacking and slashing, you can dodge roll out of the way and vacuum up some of that experience and then go back to hacking and slashing. So. I mean, I talked about a lot there, Rich, and I want to let you jump in, but <laughs> if it's not very clear and apparent, I'm a big fan of this combat system, and I'm like very excited about it. <laughs> it brings me a lot of joy.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm a fan of the combat system, too. I would say it's very button mashy as far as hack and slash if you're wanting to just go in and uh, fight melee But then you can also do ranged or a combination of that and magic. It's a lot of fun to play around with. I would find myself hacking and slashing away and then hitting the ranged button up close because it auto-targets. And in the middle of slashing somebody, just pull my gun out like, that scene in Indiana Jones, just blowing (laughs) them away, you know, it's kind of fun. I'll say this about the magic, and I don't know if this was just my experience or not, but I didn't feel like I ever got interrupted with any of my magic. Now, I would get hit and I would take damage as I was charging it up, but I, I never found that I got interrupted in casting. So, you know, it was kind of that, okay, you can take some damage and then get off a spell. So it's kind of one hand in the other But yeah, I really liked how the magic system, like you said, was set up in the tiers. And it was very easy and very intuitive to use. One of the spells that I used a lot was the Necromancer spell where you could raise the dead. I found that very helpful because before I would go into combat, I would raise a group of the dead and then go into combat. And so if it was a large group, they would be more concerned with the ads that I had created than me. And so I could kind of space out my fighting that way and not get attacked all at one time by a bunch of people. So that was a spell that really worked well for me. And just to kind of go into what you're talking about with the experience. There were four types of colored orbs that you could get. One was red, one was yellow, one was blue, and then there was green, which you could add to any of the other three colors to put points in certain areas. I think yellow was that physical or ranged attack. Do you remember?
0: I thought it was strength, which was the melee. I could be wrong. Now, this is an area where... I got to admit, Rich, I wasn't paying like super attention to like, oh, I have that many of this because what happens is when you go to upgrade, it just gives you a raw total of whatever segment you're in and Mm -hmm. that's how you can decide. So I wasn't exactly paying attention to the tally of each one as I went through the battles. But once I got into the menu, it just tells you, okay, you have this many in this, you know, you
1: can afford this, right? right? You can either afford this or you can't. But I guess the point I was trying to bring about is I know I remember Magic was red. And so, like, whatever your red number was and as far as what the upgrade cost, you would add the red plus the green, which could be used in combination with red, blue, and yellow to choose your different upgrades, which I thought was very creative. And I like this kind of freedom of choice. And it's not something that I've seen in any other video game besides this one.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool how they pool that fourth kind of experience towards the other ones you can just kind of specialize in melee or you could just specialize in ranged or whatever but because of that like kind of shared pool of experience it encourages you to mix and match and play with each one because like i said Yeah, you can just go in with a sword and hacky slashy, but I don't think that would be very fun. Like, the game is designed, they put each one of these on a face button so that it would be dynamic and you could move around and hack and then shoot and then throw a fireball. Like, I think the upgrade system is really tailored to having a well rounded character rather than just a warrior sword guy or, you know, a ranged thiefy kind of guy. It's more like they want you to be able to upgrade all three of those and use them interchangeably. So I really, really like that.
1: One of the things that I didn't like, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, it was just kind of odd for me, especially playing as a female character, but if you would increase your strength, your body would just swell and just (laughs) get abnormally huge. And it was (laughs) really weird, especially from... Playing a female character, I imagine playing a male, it might look a little odd and grotesque, but especially playing as a female character, it just like looked entirely disproportional.
0: Yeah, you're not kidding. And I noticed this especially, <laughs> there was a part after the spire where they shave your head. Now, you can go and get your hair fixed, but I didn't. So I had a shaved head for the whole rest of the game, and I was messing around with the clothing menu. And at one point, I had all the clothing removed, so I just had this beefcake with this little bra on, and it just – it really did look like (laughs) – I mean, I've seen bodybuilding women, and they're, you know, they're attractive for what they are, but this was just a monstrosity, so.
1: Yeah, this is beyond Schwarzenegger in the 70s monstrosity.
0: (laughs) Right, so – Hey, whatever works. I'm not judging it, but yeah, it looked weird. I I think male or female, the character ends up being maybe too bulky, but I like that they went for that. You can actually see your character improving in that way. And also, I love that this is a game where you can customize the character as you go, kind of like South Park that we played last month. Like, I love games where the armor that you put on is actually the armor you see on your character the outfits being a big part of the game you can kind of mix and match and make your character look the way you want but yeah as you upgrade your strength you turn into a beefcake and it's awesome just get swole yep yep Uh, So, Rich, I understand one of the things you liked about this game was the relationship systems, and there are many different kinds. So, why don't you start us off on that topic?
1: Yeah, um, I didn't know how I really felt about this at the time, but uh, one of the things I noticed about the game is that you can increase... Your relationships with people, as you become more famous throughout the world, of course, you get more renowned. And so, townspeople will come up to you, they love you, they want your autograph, and all this other stuff. You become famous. But you can also have personal relationships with characters as well. Which, at first, I was like, I don't really want to get married because I don't want to have to pay for all that. I don't have to pay for having kids and stuff. So, I was like, huh. The hell with it. I'll just do the lesbian thing and just knock out the kids. You don't want to worry about that. And so it's really odd because you can find those types of relationships in the game, which is good. But they're a lot more difficult to find, won't you say?
0: I guess, yeah. So what I found, and I had two wives, so I...
1: (laughs) You had like a harem.
0: (laughs) Well, the thing that kind of tripped me up is that I ran into a woman who wanted to marry me kind of early in the game, but then I forgot you have to buy a ring and propose to them. And also yeah. you have to own a property that you can live with them. So that wasn't a problem. I owned plenty of property, but then I had to yeah, so I. <laughs> go to the jewelry person and buy a ring. And then I couldn't find the original person again. So I just said, I ah, forget about it. And then throughout the game, I kind of wasn't even thinking of the whole marriage system. But then I ran into Kristen the Thug, and her meter was all the way up for me, and it was it was touching the ring icon. So I was like, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to marry Kristen the Thug." So
1: now wait, was that out at the arena?
0: It was yeah. It was in that little town outside of the. Um, what do they call it? The gauntlet or something? I forget what Dude, it's I'm called. Dude,
1: I'm going to kick your ass. I married the same woman. <laughs>
0: oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> I guess we'll have to fight over her. Well, it's okay because I also married Nora, the housewife. So, um, you know, we can all share. It's, it's all good.
1: <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing about the thug that I married is that when I went away for 10 years... She just disappeared. I guess she thought I was dead and disappeared. So that relationship never took off. But what I ended up realizing is that you have to set the house as your marriage household. And so I didn't know that. I had just proposed to her.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So I think that's the reason she ended up leaving. But no worries, I got remarried later. I did a quest, and I'm assuming you probably didn't do this quest, but there's one where you find these body parts and put this woman back together. So I actually had a necrophilic lesbian experience. So yeah, this game's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I swear, between the South Park game and this game, we're breaking so much new ground in our podcast world.
1: We're open-minded here, you know? <laughs> It's funny. I played this game around my kids a lot. And it's like, oh, yeah, I want to start a relationship with this woman. And I just had to keep walking around and stuff until my kids would go out of the room so I could actually do the sex thing with them.
0: Yeah. Now in the final town, there's like Betty the whore and Tom the whore. So you you probably had to be careful with that as well. And you can marry them.
1: I tried to marry Betty, yeah, but I took her through a forest and she got killed by werewolves oh, unfortunately. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just ended up with one wife at the end. And what's funny about this game is that you mentioned that you can actually have safe sex during this game. You can get condoms, but if you have a lesbian experience, you can't have safe sex, which I think's one of the weirder things in the game, you know?
0: Yeah. Believe it or not, I did not have sex. I just got married oh, okay. and set the budget high so my wives would be happy and that was it. So I didn't experiment right. with the with the sex mechanic. <laughs> well, okay.
1: I thought you had to consummate it. I thought that was the only way for it to work.
0: Well, there's so many things in this game that you can just leave hanging, you know what I mean? Like there I had <laughs> No pun intended. There, exactly. Like I had plenty of quests that I just left open because I didn't know how to finish them or whatever. But I did get the cutscene because every time you marry someone, you get a cutscene, and it's like the villagers gathered to witness, and you know, <laughs> yeah. So I got that, and I had the house all set up in a budget and everything.
1: What was your budget? I'm curious.
0: I don't remember. I mean, by the end of the game, I had over seven million gold, so <laughs> I just set it like to like two hundred percent of whatever it started at, or whatever, to just keep the person happy.
1: Oh, uh, I, I jacked it up all the way, man. 10,000 a day.
0: Nice. I was pimping nice. it. <laughs> That's cool. So, while we're talking about the interactions with characters, I want to know how you felt about the emote system in this game because it's almost like now you've played World of Warcraft, right? So, I've mm-hmm. never played an MMORPG, but. I get the feeling that this game is similar to an MMORPG in a lot of ways, and one of the things that makes me think that is this emote system. So you can pull up a wheel with the R bumper, and you can pick an emotion, right? So do you want to be funny? Do you want to be mean? And then there's a couple other ones, but the main thing is funny or mean, because you're either being positive or negative, or scary is another one, right? so you earn these as you go through the game by doing side quests or just as you progress through the main game. But, um, I think they're great because it's just this kind of funny part of the game that when you get people to like you, they have these little hearts over their head or they want to give you a gift. So there's an icon of a gift over their head and you can, do funny dances or you can fart until you shoot your pants and they will just <laughs> flock to you and you can be in the town square making muscles or doing a thumbs up and I just love doing this and it's such a good funny time waster i put a video on twitter where i had the character run into the square and start farting and all these people flock up to her rear end, and the one kid goes, can I have your autograph? (laughs) And I just think moments like that are so hilarious, and there's such a great, like, wholesome-ish sense of humor to this game that I just really love, and the emotes that you can do on command really play into that. So what did you think about those?
1: Well, first of all, pro tip, those thug women love you to fart on them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Most people hate it or are insulted by it. For them it's like a turn on. I have no idea why. That's but it's hilarious. kinda great. Yeah, I like the emote system. I guess that is the best way they could set it up. I felt like it was a little bit clunky as far as like choosing things. You know, you had to use the thumbsticks to get it right on something. It was a little slow until you really started to figure it out. You could map some things because there was like another wheel at the bottom where you could use your D-pad to choose things, especially with your dog, which I hope we talk about as a character of this game. Yeah, but like you said, I found it a lot of fun to just go into town and just goof off and do certain things, piss people off, make people happy. Again, it just kind of goes with that whole idea of you kind of create your own destiny and who you are in this game. Probably the only annoyance that I had is when you become really popular and people love you, it's hard to move around sometimes. People just get the hell in your way and it's a little bit annoying. So I guess you kind of see what paparazzi in Hollywood's like through the eyes of this game, right?
0: Yeah, that's really funny, especially when you're trying to like open a quest and talk to a quest giver and these people are just like swarming around you, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> It's pretty funny, but yeah, I thought that was a really cool aspect of this game, and I guess we can rope that into, I want to mention the real estate system, which I've talked about previously, because I really tried to break the real estate system this time around, and I succeeded, I would say. Yeah, Yeah. so what I did was just earned a little money doing the blacksmithing job in Mm -hmm. the first town, and then bought up a property. Then the next game, I'd do the blacksmithing game a little bit more, buy up more properties. And it's kind of neat because, man, you know, I cannot play a game as the evil character no matter what I do. (laughs) You know, we can mention now like there's a morality system in this game and there's many choices that you can make. And even just like the emotes we were just talking about, if you're mean to people, they'll start being scared of you or they'll start disliking you every little thing in this game that you do influences this morality system. And it's another thing that shows up on your character. But one of the things that influences that is the rent or prices that you charge on properties that you own. So I got a little bit flagrant with the rents when I first started um, (laughs) buying up properties. I just jacked up the rents like crazy to accumulate more money. But it's something that you can pretty much rebound from pretty easily by just lowering all the rents after that. But I did notice like I had characters coming up to me just saying, like, I can't afford to live here anymore. The rents are too high. Like it changes the way people interact with you, which I think is great. I like the way everything is interconnected and the things that you do as a character. Even if it's just like jacking up the rent on some rental house that you own, or jacking up the prices on some business that you own, that people will say, "Oh, you know that now it's too expensive around here." You know, yeah, it's really cool that it flavors the commentary from the NPCs. The NPCs are such a big part of this game that I think it's really cool. Like in a Grand Theft Auto game or like Saints Row that we played, they all just have quips, like pre-loaded quips that they'll just walk around and say like dumb one-liners or just totally uncontextual things in games like that. But in this game, it is related to the stuff you're doing, and I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, something else we should mention about the game is you actually have a safety where um, if you swing your sword or something, you won't kill any of the townspeople, which is good in case you accidentally do that. I think I probably used a few fire spells on people Accidentally in the game a few times. But yeah, if somebody would make a smart quip to me, I might just hit that safety button and turn it off and maybe take a sword to them and turn it back on
2: really quick.
0: (laughs) I really want to see what happens if you're like super evil, if you can run around like killing people. But yeah, I just can't bring myself to do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I couldn't
1: either. I couldn't even bring myself to do the evil jobs. And as you mentioned, there's this job system that you can do. You can do blacksmithing, you can do woodcutting, and you can do bartending. And actually five-starred all three of those where I was making oh, some cool. really big bank because I had to do that. Because unlike you, you bought a lot of properties at, at the onset, and like every five minutes or so, you start collecting those rents and stuff. But like you said, when you turn the game off... It still accumulates in real time. So, if you don't play it for a week or two, all that rent will just kind of jack up and fill your account over that time you didn't play. But for me, I did this in three days. So, I had to do the jobs. And uh, that's how I bought properties really quick because you'd kind of put that in my ear, you know, to make money, you buy the properties and stuff like that. But I got to do all the jobs. And, you know, it wasn't that bad. It did take some time to do a few. I annoyed my wife and kids. Who are sitting around the TV watching me play? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, doing a job for twenty to thirty minutes and maxing it out. So, uh, yeah, um, I didn't find it annoying. It was you know a cool part of the game if you wanted to earn some money really quick and well worth doing in order to buy all the great equipment and all the nice clothes that you could have to uh, once again make your popularity go up in the game, right?
0: Yeah, totally. And I five-starred the blacksmithing job, but I tried all the other ones, but I yeah. had the same kind of experience of like, all right, this is the means to an end. And I actually like listened to music while I was blacksmithing a lot of the time, yeah. <laughs> just trying to <laughs> mindlessly just tap out however many gold I could get in a half an hour or whatever, so... um
1: Just make any swords, bitch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's another thing the people will talk to you as you're doing it and say, oh, that was a good hit, you know, like (laughs) crap like that. And then the other thing is when you're done with like a really long session, again, you just have people flock to you, like loving you for the job that you did. So it's really cool. So while we're on the economy, you brought up, you buy your weapons in the game, you buy your clothing in the game. It's not exactly armor. It more affects how the NPCs react to you. So I played most of the game in the rich woman's outfit. (laughs) So (laughs) I ran around, you know, whether I was hacking pirates with an axe or zombies in a cave, I looked like an aristocrat. So I really like that. Another thing, too, isn't there's an item system, right? So there's potions all kinds of trinkets and gifts that you can give to people. Like I was talking about the wedding rings. You have to actually go buy them at a jewelry vendor. But one thing I wanted to mention, because it kind of ties in with both the economy and the battle system, is that I had this point in the game where I was like, man, I'm going through a lot of potions because I'm just running around. Maybe I'm being kind of sloppy, but I'm getting my butt whipped in some of these battles and just going through a lot of potions. So I was running around like, oh, man, where's this like potion vendor in this town that I'm in? Come on, this is a pain in the ass. But what I realized is the game, if you die, has a very, very soft penalty, which is you lose like a little bit of your experience. And I I don't know what it's proportional to, but there were some times I died where I would lose like 2000 experience. I was like, oh, dang, too bad. Right. But then towards the end of the game, it's like you were knocked out and lost 90 experience. So I was wondering how you encountered that, if at all, and how you felt about it. Did you try to like hoard potions or did you just say, oh, screw it. It's not that big of a deal when you get KO'd, which is kind of what happened to me.
1: Yeah, I didn't die in this game ever. (laughs) Oh,
0: somebody's MLG pro gamer at Fable (laughs) 2.
1: No, no, I I wouldn't say that at all. But, you know, I, I did use the potions in the game. I tried to stock up on them when I came across a potion vendor because one of the things that we should mention about the game is that in a lot of RPGs, you can just keep buying potions. In this RPG, you can't. There's usually only one that the vendor has. And so you can buy them at different rates and as far as how much health that it will increase. Most of the potions and stuff that I found were through the uh, dig system that's in the game. You have a dog in the game that you meet very early and it sniffs out chests and it also sniffs out buried treasures that you can dig up. And so anytime he would bark and that would go off, I would take the time to go dig it up or open the treasure. And so I never had any problems with finding potions. And for that reason, I didn't die. I think I ended the game with like 11 or 12 of those rejuvenation potions, which basically bring you back to life if you die. I did die a few times, but I always pop back up. So I never experienced a true death in the game.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. I wonder too, I know you did a lot more of the side quests than mm-hmm. I did, and you also get items from them, too. You so, do, yeah. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. I should say there's another potion, too. There's potions that give you experience, and I had a lot of these in my inventory before I realized you can just press the X button to use them as soon as you get them, and it just kind of throws experience out into the air, and you just vacuum it up. Yep. So those came in handy, too, especially, like there was a few times where one of those like leveled me up into being able to purchase something so that's pretty cool when they came in handy like that but you brought up the dog so that was actually one of the only other things i wanted to talk about with gameplay the dog to me is one of my favorite parts of this game some people hate it because they think it's kind of useless he runs around and gets injured a lot i think that's something that a lot of people get annoyed with but I actually love the dog. I love animal companions in games, especially dogs. And this is one of my favorites. Something's ringing a bell in my mind like we've talked about this before, like dogs in games. Like That was
1: one of our questions of the month. One month was about uh, favorite companion in a game. And I believe the dog in Fable 2 was brought up.
0: Okay, cool. Well, yeah, because there's a lot coming to mind, like Fable 3, Persona 3, um and tales of vesperia are my favorite ones well in in persona 3 and tales of vesperia they're actually party members but they're also like your companion in the story kind of thing in this game it's more like fallout 3 where you just have the dog running around with you you don't control it in any way it's on its own ai it just runs around it fights when you fight and as you said rich it sniffs out treasure chests and also dig spots you have special emotes for the dog. You can scold it, which I never did even one time in either one of both <laughs> of my playthroughs. <laughs> or you can kind of praise it and you do that universal thing where you just kind of lean over and clap your hands and say, who's a good boy kind of thing. Or you can actually play fetch with them, which is a timed emote. And if you get it right, you throw the ball really far and he goes and gets it. So, I'm a big fan of the dog. It's one of the reasons I wanted to play this game over the other ones. How did you feel about the dog, Rich? And what did you name it?
1: Uh, I named it Oreo, which is the name of my dog, because the kids wanted to name it like that. And so, yeah, that's what we did. Cool. I really like the dog a lot. I will agree, though, the dog getting injured was really annoying you didn't have to buy a specific potion to heal the dog. If he was injured, it was in your inventory and you could use it over and over and over again. So I, I want to make that clear. And it just felt sort of useless. You know what I mean? It felt like unnecessary. And the thing is, if the dog's not healed, the dog will not seek out treasures and will not seek out the dig spots like it's supposed to. So I did find a few times where I didn't really realize that the dog was injured and I probably missed out on some stuff and that was a little annoying. And so I I did find that that was unnecessary, but the dog as a companion as a whole, I really liked, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes when you're a character and you're roaming around, an open world and it's just you. There's this feeling of loneliness and isolation and as odd as it is and it being a video game, it's just kind of comforting to have a companion running alongside of you as you're, traversing these worlds and as you're fighting these battles so yeah i, I thought it was really cool i really like the aspect of digging up stuff and uh having someone that could help find the treasure chests or find these artifacts which is a big quest in the game
0: awesome well i agree with you completely that like sense of companionship was great when you're running around wherever you are so very cool I think there are probably other gameplay elements that I'm not thinking of, not remembering right now. Maybe they'll pop up as we continue our discussion. But uh, I think we're ready to move on to a different topic, which would be graphics. Is that cool? That's great. All right. So let's talk about the graphics and environments in this game. I mentioned before that the game is set in kind of a, again, (laughs) broadly... Educated guess here 1600s, 1700s kind of Western European environment. It's an Xbox 360 game, so you're getting those seventh generation graphics. I want to say slightly cartoony. Now, it's not cell shaded in any way, it goes for a more realistic graphical look, but the character models are a little bit cartoonish. I would say the strengths in this game graphically is not that it's particularly colorful like it's not super vibrant except for in certain segments of the game where it really wants to be but I thought the game was actually very lush looking like the vegetation in some of the areas looks like real life woods basically you know and I really like like the paths and roads and The buildings were all pretty cool and well laid out and designed. The towns were laid out and designed very well. like Not difficult to navigate. Pretty hard to get lost in these towns. They're not huge, but they're also intuitive to kind of walk around and figure out where you need to go. As a matter of fact, we didn't even mention the breadcrumb trail. That was kind of another major (laughs) gameplay thing. I'll just say real quick, there's a... Breadcrumb trail that when you have a quest, whether it's a main quest, side quest, whatever, whatever you have set as your current quest, there's this golden light trail that leads you to that quest. You can turn it off, you can set the intensity of it however you like. And it's also very glitchy, right? So if you're in a Mm -hmm. town with a bunch of crossroads and intersections, it tends to bug out a little bit. And sometimes you have to just stand still and let it reset itself. Yeah. But that's another major part of this game. I leaned on it pretty heavily. How about you, Rich?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I it was a great part of the game. Yeah, I liked it. Um, yeah, it's this little golden sparkly trail. But like you said, it does kind of bug out a few times. But especially if like, you're at a crossroads or if you're running during the game, it'll kind of bug out. But if you just stop, it'll just reset itself. And it's great. I like being able to pick a quest and know where I'm going next, especially in a game this vast and open world. So uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as far as the graphics and environments are concerned. I totally agree with you about the landscapes and the towns and everything. I thought they were beautiful, really lush and well done. If there was something that I would say I really didn't like, it was the appearance of the characters I thought that the facial expressions of the characters were kind of bland and a lot of times were very repetitive, especially like for different social classes and stuff. I felt like I was looking at the same characters all the time. I don't feel like the facial expressions were very well drawn in this game. And the character models were a little strange and off at times. I felt like the parts of the game where you played as the kid in the beginning part and then in the dream toward the end, I felt like those scenes seemed a bit more cartoony. Like the drawings were a little more cartoony and it just wasn't very cohesive with yeah. who you were as an adult. And so I would probably kind of knock it for that a bit, but um, otherwise overall, like the environments, the world that was created was amazing. Uh, I thought it looked really, really good.
0: All right. So yeah, one of the things that I found disappointing now that you mention it was the appearance of the player characters i've seen both male and female like i've never played as a male but i've seen it in plenty of videos and of course played as a female twice and even while your actions and choices in the game affect how your character looks i felt like my character never looked good like ever you know like was never attractive whatever the, whatever the attractiveness rating was on my character <laughs> I didn't agree with it visually so I wish they had done a little bit better on that like you said it goes for across the board like most of the characters but like you want your player character to be attractive whether it's male or female because that's who I as the player that's my projection into the video game world so I want them to look good um, Yeah. So, yeah, that was a little disappointing to me. So I'm glad you brought that up as kind of the one knock against the graphics.
1: And the odd thing about that is the other heroes and Teresa, the blind seer, they all looked really good. I love the look of Hammer. I thought she was awesome. I love that character. Yeah. And the characters Garth and Reaver looked good, too. So it's kind of strange that you had a supporting cast of characters that looked really good and stood out but the character that you actually played looked just kind of off you know
0: yeah totally agree nothing that makes you want to turn off the game but just wish they were a little bit more attractive to music now rich the music in this game was composed by russell shaw and some other dude named danny elfman i've never heard of him
1: <laughs> <laughs> who's that guy
0: yeah so of course danny elfman's one of the most popular and well-known mm, composers yeah. of movie music so it was kind of cool to hear his work in this game
1: If you don't know him, if you've ever watched a movie by Tim Burton, he does like all of Tim Burton's soundtracks. And if you've ever listened to the 80s band Oingo Boingo, then he was a part of that before he started doing a lot of stuff for the movies.
0: Yep. So the music, I mean, if you know Danny Elfman's music, you kind of know what to expect. And no disrespect to this other gentleman, Russell Shaw, and it—you know he's noted as having worked with Peter Molyneux on other projects as well, so... Between the both of them, I think they created a really nice soundtrack. It has that kind of fantasy fairy tale vibe with like a lot of bells and xylophones, like those kind of percussive instruments. But then in the lighter parts of the game, you got the woodwinds and it's orchestral, but it's also very accessible. Like it's not just generic. We talk a lot about, we play these action games sometimes and they just have. Oh, it's just generic movie action music kind of stuff. This, I feel like, has a lot more character and helps put you in the mood for whatever you're doing. And, in, you know, there's battle music that's more intense. Now, having said all that, as much as I enjoyed it, there's no one piece of music that would be like, oh, I really like the song that was playing when you're doing this or that. That didn't happen to me, but the music in general, I would say, is very good. It's always appropriate and... I give it my thumbs-up seal of approval. What about you, Rich?
1: Yeah, man, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this. And okay, I'm even cool. more disappointed now that I know Danny Elfman was involved because I didn't know that until you pointed it out just now. But uh, I agree. I felt it was appropriate, but I felt that it didn't have that really like hardcore adventure sound in it. I just feel like with a game that's titled Fable... There needs to be something like kind of more pompous and uplifting, you know, and usually like we'll say, oh, the music was good enough and I just didn't really notice it. But with this music, I felt like it was so unimpressive that I actually noticed how unimpressive it was. Again, it's just me and that's, you know, how I felt about it. But honestly, I almost felt like I was playing this game without any music. Unlike you, I don't play the game with headphones on. I know you do that a lot. So, you know, maybe you were able to hear something that I wasn't. And so, you know, maybe I'm off here in my... um, And maybe I'm off here in my criticism of the game. But, you know, that's just kind of my takeaway from it.
0: Okay, that's fair. I just would throw out there, I didn't play this game with headphones. I don't usually play games with headphones unless it's VR or if the game tells me to, like in a Sacrifice. But... Yeah, it's an option that's out there. There was some other game I was playing too that was just like really loud and abrasive and I was playing it when my wife was trying to sleep. So every once in a while I will pop on the headphones if I need to, but it's not like a common practice. While we're talking about the sounds, I think we should talk about the sound effects and also the voice acting. So I wanted to talk about these two things in particular. Especially in battle, I thought the sound effects were really cool. They got the basic things right, like the clanging of the swords and... I really like the sound of the blunderbuss. I like I've never heard a real blunderbuss be fired, but it sounds like this big like bassy like boom kind of sound every time you fire it. It's very satisfying. And then, you know, electric spells make electric buzzing noises and they got all that right. I don't have any like super commentary on the sound effect work, just that it was done really well and competently. I don't know if you have anything to add to that.
1: No, I totally agree with you there. I thought these sound effects in the game were great. As far as the voice acting was concerned, I actually really liked the voice acting in this game. You know, most of the voice acting you got was from the main characters, Teresa, I thought the voice there was good. Hammer, I loved her voice, and Garth, and, you know, even Reaver with his cockiness and everything was a little over the top, but still really good for the character portrayal. So, yeah, I I like the voice acting in this game as well.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Top-notch voice acting. We should mention, too, your player character is not voiced, but he or she does make some sounds so for example one of the ones I really loved is when you do the dance emote she goes fa fo la fa fo la yeah (laughs) and I always love doing that just because I, I like that aspect of it and she also does the yeah thing when you dug up a artifact or used my kids
1: would make fun of that oh that's funny
0: (laughs) i found it kind of endearing because when they have a character that's not voiced i like if they sprinkle in something you know so it's not scripted dialogue that's fine but when you have her dance and she kind of is singing as she does it i really like that touch I just wanted to mention that. I also love that every time you start the game, Teresa says, and so our story begins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it just never gets old because she just has a beautiful voice. So,
1: And it leans toward the title of the game as well. Oh, know, yeah. Fable.
0: totally, Totally. Totally. Um, but yeah, that was all good and well done.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a little bit odd that the main character didn't have a voice, but... I found it kind of funny also that the game kind of makes fun of itself for that, and that the other main characters kind of like, don't talk much, do you? <laughs> you know, and just yeah. kind of make fun of you in that sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny, but for me, I would probably prefer a voice actor for the main character as well.
0: Yeah like i'm not a game developer but i know that adds like tons of logistical like they'd have to change all the all the dialogue trees would go like exponential you know what they would have to record and program so yeah it was a aesthetic choice as well as a design choice factored into that but that's the game we got i'm cool with it so (laughs) yeah yeah any other comments on the sound before we start wrapping things up here rich or anything else I
1: don't think I'm good, man.
0: All right. Mr. Stubbs is kind of the all-star of this playthrough because he's actually playing through the whole series. Yeah. So, like I said, I've played all three games, but it's been a long time since I played any of them, actually. But I remember enjoying 1 and 3. So, he has a pretty great post on here. It's pretty long and detailed, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But he just said... So I finished the game this morning and overall my experience was a good one. Try not to spoil anything for those still playing but I really enjoyed the story until the end. I feel like the final battle could have been more exciting especially when you compare it to the endings of the first game. Both stories were similar in a sense that the entire game leads up to a point of redemption and revenge for the player. Overall I enjoyed my time with Fable 2 and we will be playing the third one in the next few days. So again, that's the first sentence and the last sentence of this awesome post that Stubbs put up, kind of analyzing the different systems in the game. So definitely recommend checking that out. You know, sometimes we spoil games and sometimes we don't. We're to the point we're going to talk about the ending, and I do want to talk about the ending. So here we're going to spoil the ending. Listener, if you've been with us for this long and you've never played Fable 2, Maybe pause it right here and go play the game because this is a major spoiler for the ending. So, Rich, this is kind of a weird one, right? And I remember the first time I encountered this. I was like, what the hell just happened, you know? (laughs) Um, So, you finally get your chance to confront Lucien. And first of all, he shoots your dog, which...
1: Yeah, I know you cringed on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was bad both times. But then what he's going to do is he has your three heroes that you've assembled throughout your game, throughout the main story missions. And he's going to steal their power so he can have the ultimate power. And he has this thing called the Spire, which is just this... Massive fortress tower where he just has a bunch of slaves and he's power hungry and just wants to enslave everybody. What happens is you basically pull out this MacGuffin from the beginning of the game, which is this music box that you bought from a street vendor when you were a child in the beginning of the game, and you make a wish on it in one of the earlier scenes. In this final cutscene, you just pull it out as he's trying to drain the power from your compadres there and it stops that from happening and pulls the power back into the music box so then he turns like super saiyan and gets all red and he starts making a speech about how you know you think you've won but blah 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 and he goes into this monologue and at that point there are two things that can happen you can either just shoot him and it's, it, the game's over. You just hit the Y button, shoot him in mid-sentence. He falls off this pillar that you're all standing on. Game over. What happened to me on my first playthrough, though, is if you just listen to him monologue for long enough, Reaver wakes up and shoots him and <laughs> says, I thought he would never shut up. <laughs> so that's what happened to me the first time I played, which is even worse, in my opinion, but also very funny. So I have like, <laughs> I have kind of mixed feelings about that. <laughs> and I would say, I would just want to throw out one more thing before I kick it over to you. The way I looked at it in this playthrough is that, okay, I know when I get to that final scene with Lucian, that's kind of a disappointing ending to where I was expecting like a final boss battle or whatever. However, the way I try to frame it in my mind and let me know if this is really stretching, but I look at it as the final boss battle is actually where you fight the spire piece on the beach and you have to shoot mm-hmm. its weak spot on top of it. And then it keeps spawning enemies that you have to go fight. And Garth is there like, uh, casting his lightning on it to me in the thunder rolls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a custom soundtrack option? Um, (laughs) but to me that felt like a final boss battle it really is like all the different stages and the things you have to do to make things happen and the extra enemies spawning and all that stuff when I looked at it that way I was a lot more satisfied and less disappointed in oh the final showdown with Lucian is kind of a anti-climax so I'll kick it over to you. Don't go into your final thoughts yet. Let's just talk about the ending. How do you feel about the ending? Like, did it take you by surprise? This whole, oh, just shoot the guy in it's roll credits. What did you think?
1: Yeah, uh, I was disappointed in the ending. I'll be honest. <laughs> I think the best way to describe the entire scenario is final boss that's not perceived as the final boss, but is the final boss. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because... Yeah. You're fighting this triangular contraption, and you're in the final boss battle, but you don't know that you're in the final boss battle. It just sort of comes out of nowhere. You're expecting a fight after you come outside of that cave, but I don't know. I I feel like I enjoy a final boss battle where I know I'm in a final boss battle. To me, it just seemed like another fight that was part of the game that was, yeah, a little lengthier, but was probably a build up to what would be an excellent final boss fight. And that's what I was expecting. And I really wasn't expecting to be so close to the end of the damn game. I thought from there like the story was going to continue, but it just sort of bluntly ends. And you were talking about the end of the game, I felt that that battle with Lucian was going to occur I capped his ass, you know, I shot like as soon as like I could hit the controller. (laughs) And then it was just like, wait, it's over. This is the end of the game. I don't know. There was something about it that felt really, really empty to me. And so I'm not really a big fan of the way this game ended. And I'm sure we'll talk about the choice at the end as well, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think on a second playthrough getting over the shock of, you know, that whole feeling of, oh, that's it. It's over. Like when you know it's coming, it's a little bit easier to swallow. I'm not going to ask you to go and play the game again, but maybe (laughs) years down the road you will. And you'll have it in a different perspective, kind of the way I did this time around. And one thing I would say that you kind of reminded me of is that if you just went through the story missions of this game, it would be actually pretty short, but the game does a really good job, first of all, of encouraging you to do kind of side stuff by making the side quests pretty attractive as far as rewards go. And also they're very interesting. So to anybody who plays this game, I'd recommend go through the side quests, not all of them, but, you know, pick a couple and see how you like them. But then towards the end of the game, it kind of forces your hand because to recruit Reaver, you have to have a certain amount of renown points. So this was kind of a annoyance to me this time around because I was trying to finish the game and I was about nine thousand renown short, which is at least two side quests, and I was doing one that was very long and complicated and it ended with trying to find 10 pieces of treasure in this really intricate beach environment and I couldn't find them. Yeah, so I just bailed yeah. on the mission. So I was actually kind of annoyed at that. And Dougley Double O Seven 007 had a comment that said, I got sucked into the side quest and didn't finish it. I think I'm close. I'm about to get the thief guys talking about <laughs> Reaver he said, getting my fame up is time-consuming. It feels like a way to pad the game. So I like half agree with him there. I think yeah. that if you play the game kind of naturally, it doesn't feel padded at all. And I didn't feel like like there's so much in the game that's available to you that I wouldn't call it padding. I would just call it like, uh, you know, th- that should have been optional. Why are you making me do this now? Like, I guess this is from a time... And we're still like this now. We want games to be longer and bigger and, you know, lots of content, content, content in a game. So I think there's an element of that. Like, hey, buddy, you want to recruit the last guy? You got to do some side quests. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So I understand the mixed feelings of the ending. Well, they're not even mixed in your case. You just didn't like it. So totally understand. Again, on a second playthrough, it's a little bit easier to swallow. So the other thing that's an element of the end of the game that you mentioned, Rich, is the final choice, which is kind of weird contextually because Teresa says, okay, you've defeated Lucian, you have control of the Spire. She tells you, like, you have all the power of the Spire at your disposal and you can make one wish, anything you want. But then after she says that, she gives you three choices. (laughs) So it's not exactly anything you want. (laughs) um so choice number one is to bring back all the people who died under lucian's hand in creating the spire because it was made with slave labor the second choice is to get back your family members including rose and the dog and the third option is riches beyond your wildest imagination now Obviously, I didn't choose riches because I had a 7 million gold bankroll. I had more money than I would ever need to spend in this entire game. And obviously, I wanted the dog back. And, and
1: Yeah, you got that dog back. I knew that's what you picked. Yeah.
0: Well, here's the thing. Once again, I know that's the choice I made the first time I played this game eight years ago. And that's the choice I made this time because I wasn't going to give up the damn dog. So, uh, I'm actually really curious since you brought it up. What was your choice and what did you think? I'll say, well, tell me what your choice was first and then we can talk if they were different.
1: Oh, they were different. Okay. My son got really pissed at me for my choice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I have this issue with separating myself from a game sometimes when it comes to choices. And for me, it was doing the more utilitarian thing, the mass over the self. Yeah. And so I chose to bring the people back and my son was just dumbfounded. He's like, your family died. Why wouldn't you bring your family back? If something happened to us, would you not want us back? Oh, damn. And dude, just guilt. You know, just total guilt trip. And I had to explain to him. It's like, well, first of all, this is a video game. You know? And that choice would probably be a lot harder for me if that were the case. But bringing more happiness to more families over a choice which I feel like is more selfish, and I don't mean that in a negative way in the term selfishness, but more selfish and self-gratifying. So yeah, the choice that I made was to bring back the lives of all the people who had died making the Spire.
0: And so how did that play out in the post-game, if at all? Because there's some dialogue towards the end, and then in my choice, there was an item that I got, which I'll explain in a minute. So what happens when you choose the people?
1: Uh, When you choose the people, they basically just erect a statue to you. Okay,
0: that makes sense. (laughs)
1: Yeah, a big statue, and it's not even in the town square, so yeah, that sucks. Um, You do not get the dog back, which is odd because like with the artifact quest, you need the dog to find the things to dig up. Mm, okay. So, you don't have the dog anymore to find digging spots and to find treasure chests. However, they did put something in the game where you get that gold path where you can follow that and a, a golden ring appears and you can dig. So, you can finish that archaeology quest without the dog. From what I understand, uh, one of, some of the downloadable content, you could actually bring the dog back by leading a character into a graveyard and murdering them or something like that. And then you could actually sacrifice them to get your dog back. So apparently they realized that people did not like not having the dog again and put something in there so that they could get them back. Uh, So I I thought that was really interesting. I'm curious what happened in your ending.
0: So two interesting points to choosing to have your family back is that first hammer kind of criticizes you when you're still in the group before you get kicked out of the spire. And that's what I'll say about (laughs) Teresa kind of lying to you. She says, well, you go live your life. The spire is mine now. And I was like, what? (laughs) So, um, like, is that a
1: setup for fable three? I I don't know. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Spoil it. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but Hammer, she says, you know, all those people who died have families, too. What about them? And it's like, oh, too soon. Um, but then the other yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, um, so you make that choice thinking, oh, I'm going to get Rose, my sister, back. It'll be interesting to see. Like, is she still the kid or is she grown up? Like, how does this work? But all you get is a letter, and it says something like, I woke up in a forest and there's a nice man helping me and it's very vague and ambiguous and I haven't looked up, I should have, but I don't know what the fan theories are, if it's anything confirmed like who it's supposed to be or if it's an existing character in the game or if it's just sequel baiting or whatever, but... That was a little bit weird. And again, like kind of unfulfilling. Like, I wanted to see Rose again. Like, how would they have her reinserted into the world? But it wasn't like that. You just get a letter from her. So, quite interesting. I'm kind of curious too now. Like, how much gold do you get if you choose the gold ending?
1: No idea. I guess to choose that ending, you would probably have to do the path of evil. You know what I mean? If you were going for the most evil you could attain in the game, that would be the path that you would probably want to go down is choose the money over everything else. Right?
0: Yeah. It doesn't make sense to do it. If you played the whole game as a good character, I just looked it up because I really wanted to know, and I didn't want to leave it hanging. You get 1 million gold. If you choose the gold ending, which is a pittance,
1: (laughs) you can turn the game off for a week and get there.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) Yeah, the gold inning just doesn't make sense. Unless you were really like not gaming the real estate and didn't do any of the jobs. But then the other thing too is, are you going to play post-game and keep doing side quests? Maybe then a million gold would be useful. Now, I'm curious. I want to see what happens. Can you go over 10 million gold? And I'm at about seven. So I'm going to keep just booting up the game like every couple of days to see how high the gold can actually go. It's doubtful that I'll go and run around and do more side quests. I don't know. But um, the ending of this game is very interesting. But I don't know. I'd rather feel like interested or annoyed or pissed or say that's weird or that was different, you know, rather than, I don't know, something that was boring or just a crappy end boss. We've had a lot of crappy traditional end bosses in our playthroughs as well, so At least this was kind of an interesting take on a game ending. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, we've labored on about the ending of the game. I think it's now time to go into our final thoughts. And, Rich, I'll kick it off to you.
1: Yeah, so for me, I thought the game had a very interesting story. You know, it was your classic revenge plot slash save the world plot. It was nothing extravagant, but I felt like it had enough to keep me going. The game, to me, had a lot of these fetch quest moments, which at some points were a little bit irritating because it's like you said before, oh, you have to have this much status to move on. Oh, you have to do these side quests. And I felt like that happened like three or four times during the game where you were forced to do side quests and you couldn't continue with the main story until you did. But I think that kind of lended me into appreciating the side quests more. And for me to wanting to finish all the big side quests. Now some like rescuing prisoners and things like that. You could just keep doing those over and over and over again. And those aren't the quests that I'm talking about. But there were others where you could get renowned points by finishing these quests. And I did every one of those quests. And it was kind of neat. It really kind of enhanced the story because... Sometimes you could rescue people, and they might die along the way, and then everything wasn't sunshine and rainbows. There were some very tragic stories that kind of went along with those quests, and so I found that very interesting. Um, I played this game over three days, but I found myself really kind of getting entrenched in this world and just goofing off more than anything, you know, instead of trying to progress the game and finish it within those three days, I was spending hours and hours just goofing off, you know, trying to max out all my jobs and stuff like that. Things that are just kind of strange. And you're kind of like, why am I doing this again? Why am I trying to max out this job? I really don't need the money because, you know, I've bought all these properties and everything. I'm, you know, making like, 9,000 gold every five minutes, so why am I doing this? But there's this sense of wanting to complete these things for me, and, uh, you know, that's a part of the game that I really enjoyed. I would say that this game, for me, doesn't have a whole lot of replay value. There are some quests that I didn't finish, like taking out all 50 gargoyles, but, you know, that's just not something I'm going to go back and do. One of the things that we didn't mention about the game, and especially with the weaponry, is the augmentations that you could do to the weapons. Later on in the game, the weapons have these slots in them, which um, sort of reminiscent for me, like we talked in our South Park discussion with Final Fantasy VII, where you can put these runes inside these sockets. I had one of the runes, and it was like when you hit somebody in melee combat, every time you hit someone, you gain life back. And it just totally made the game completely overpowered and easy. And so the final boss for me was just a piece of cake. Like, if my life started getting low and attacking that piece of the Spire, I would just get into combat, beat up the adds and gain all my health back and just start attacking it again. So it it just really completely simplified the game. I don't know if this game will end up being one of my favorite titles at the end of the year. It's kind of too early to tell, and I'm sort of on the fence about it. And it's probably one of those games where, as I move away from a little bit further, I'll probably appreciate it a lot more. But I will say this, I've heard a lot about the Fable series, and I'm really, really glad that you picked this game and i really appreciate you sharing it with me and i was really happy to play it with the community
0: that is awesome now let me ask you this are you planning to play fable the original or fable 3 in the future
1: i would like to play the original game but i don't think i have any plans to do it in the immediate future you know i've got other things on my plate like the next playthrough and of course now that I've started Crusader Sinti, I think I want to finish that game.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Again, my final thoughts it should be pretty clear as I've gone through this discussion. This game makes me very happy. You know, it's like a comfort food game for me. I just, I love running around just hacking and slashing and listening to, you know, NPCs jibber jabber at me with English accents or fake Welsh accents or whatever they are. And um, it's a very pleasant game for me. One thing I will say though, going back to it was a lot like going back to Bioshock for me, which is that the first time I played this game, I was blissfully blown away by it and how much I loved it. With this playthrough, I kind of see like the cracks in the paint, so to speak. Like, yeah. We didn't even talk about like how janky the AI is in this game, both friendly and enemy AI. I had a little bit of a discussion with Stubbs about that on the forum. He also mentioned the grotesqueness of the player character. I was just reading one of his comments. But yeah, the, the AI is really janky. The frame rate drops quite a bit. Now, that's something that I'm not super sensitive to, but I know a lot of people... Are super nitpicky about frame rates. So, um, just throwing that out there. But having said that, it was still an awesome game to play through again. And I would highly recommend it to pretty much anybody because it's one of those games that's really easy to get into and you can go your own way with it, right? You can screw around with jobs, you can screw around with the real estate system, you can. Do side quests. You can just wander around the woods getting into fights and trying to level up. There's so many things you can do. And I really think it's worth playing. Now, I would recommend not doing what I did. I mean, (laughs) so here's the thing I wanted to play Fable 2 for this podcast because I didn't feel like playing Fable 1 and then two years later playing Fable 2. I just wanted to play Fable 2 with you. But if somebody was approaching this, for the first time, just casually. Like you were mentioning, the games are relatively short, right? Depending on how much side stuff you do. You can play them in any order because of the story. They're not really related, but I would recommend going through in order because what I found was Fable 2, to me, is so good that going back to Fable 1... I didn't enjoy it as much. Now, I know Stubbs would disagree with me based on his comments on the forum, but that's my take on it. Fable 3 is not as bad as everybody says, so don't believe the negative hype. It's a decent game, just like Fable 2. It's not as good as Fable 2, in my opinion, but it's definitely worth playing and playing the whole trilogy. Yeah, I'm not sure what else to say. I just love this game. I adore it. I love the dog, and I love just the quaintness the pleasantness of it the humor in it it's a very funny game and it's like a tasteful humor i would call it like a pg-13 kind of humor and uh it's a great game total thumbs up all right so that wraps up our fable conversation let's talk about our april and may games rich you're hosting april what do we got
1: Yeah, so in April, we're playing Control on the PS4. This game is broken up into 28 missions, so what we're going to be doing is playing seven missions approximately every week. And we'll be discussing that on the forums. The game is a third-person action-adventure shooter and has some really neat sci-fi powers that you can use along the way should be a great time this month and really looking forward to playing this game which is probably the most modern game we've played to date except for what we're going to do in may right sean
0: (laughs) that's correct yeah so for the first time maybe ever i can't remember like we're gonna play a game that like just came out Uh, so in May, we're going to play a game called Darksiders Genesis, which is the prequel of the Darksiders games in genre, because it's not a three-dimensional Zelda game. It's more of a Diablo dungeon kind of game. So we chose this game for a very special reason, and I'm going to keep that close to my chest until we confirm that we're actually doing this thing that we're (laughs) planning to do, (laughs) but, um... It's going to be really cool if we end up doing it. It's going to be a first for our podcast, and I really hope we can make it happen. I'm very excited about it. But yeah, Darksiders Genesis came out, I think it came out like December or like just the tail end of 2019 on the PC, and then it came out on the consoles in February of this year. So yeah, totally fresh new game. I know we're kind of pushing the limits. We try to keep our games cheap, and this one just came out. Hopefully, we can grab it on sale. I'll be looking for sales on it, tweeting them out. So, we'll make sure everybody can get this game affordably, hopefully. But yeah, I'm excited about this one. It's going to be cool. Now, Rich, this one has Couch Co op. You're going to get the family involved in this one? Oh, hell no, man. I'm not getting them oh,
1: messing come me up. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, while we're at it, Sean, I also want to announce our game in June, and the reason for this is because it is a fairly expensive title, and that game is actually the first Dreamcast game we've ever played, Cannon Spike. The reason we're doing this game is because, as some of you know, RF Generation also has a Shmup Club on the site and it's run by our very good friends metal fro and addicted and so what this is going to be is a collaboration between the Playcast and the core cast from the rf generation site should be a lot of fun it's going to be a great podcast with the four of us and i just want to go ahead and announce this game since it is a rather expensive title and hopefully we can have a lot of participation on this game. So please join us and the Corecast in June for Canon Spy. My,
3: My friends feel as they're appointed to keep trying to tell me yeah. All you want to do is use me uh-huh, But my answer uh-huh. And all that you use me stuff I, 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 yes, I, I want to spread the news That if it feels it's good Getting used, or you just keep on using me until you use me up until you use me up. My brother sit me right down and he talk to me. Me, uh-huh. That I ought not to let you just walk on me, and I'm sure he meant well. Uh-huh. Yeah, but when I told what's through, I I I said, brother. If you only knew you, wish that you were in my shoes. You just keep on using me until you use me up. Until
0: you use me up. And that will wrap up another episode. Thank you, as always, for listening, and a special thanks to all of our participants. In April, we'll spring into a modern action title from Remedy Entertainment. The mind-bending sci-fi action-adventure known as Control is available on the PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com to join the playthrough, and we'll see you next time on the Playcast.
2: Fresh meat.
0: Basketball. Bow.
2: Blah, blah, bling, blamage.